get yourself fired up. MMA is back in 2019, and so is the State of Combat with Brian Campbell podcast. Yes, that is the voice that you hear. Your boy BC, trust me, I'm back. I back. Trust me, I back. Our first show of the new year. And really a first for a new generation of UFC after signing that, I don't know, $1 billion five-year UFC on ESPN deal. We will see the first card this Saturday in Brooklyn, and we'll have the full preview with you. Hey, we also have some pretty damn good guests this week as we chat with UFC Hall of Famer Forrest Griffin. He's doing some really cool stuff over there at the UFC PI in Las Vegas Helping change the future for fighters. And of course, you know, we're going to talk Bonner with Forrest Griffin and some great moments in his career. But we got a lengthy chat with the man, Dan the Man Lambert, founder, ATT. Going to talk about all of his fighters, talk about his great gym. Hey, we've been talking some wrestling with him. You don't want to miss this at all. Hey, you also don't want to miss out a chance to let your voice be heard on this show. See something, say something. Please, five-star review, Apple Podcasts. You already know the deal. It helps this show go places it's never been before. Yes, gross, dirty places. <laughs> All right, I don't know where we're going with that, but uh yeah. All right, hey, why don't I tell you something that works? I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack, but my dick works. Oh, my dick works. It does. It really does. All right, on that note, let me bring in my co-host, the wisest Man in mixed martial arts today, CBS Sports writer, editor, Boca High alum, Brandon Wise. Yes, yes. You want me to follow DC like you do every damn week on this show, and I never know what to say. But instead, let's talk about the fact that it is 2019. We're both on that new year, new me kick. Yeah, I think trying, you're getting you're getting ready for a cruise. That you're at, we're actually taping this on Friday before the UFC Brooklyn card the week before. And you're trying to lose a little bit of a weight before you get on this cruise. I'm doing some boxing classes. Nice. And I did, I did a kickboxing class two weeks ago. I have to just say, I have so much more respect for what these guys do every day now because <laughs> good God was I out of shape. I could barely stand after I started kicking the heavy bag. Yeah, you're, you're, that'll get you washed fast. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how these high level athletes live a, this full time life like that. You know, that's just, it's insane. I, I get washed very quickly after one workout, but I am back in the gym at 40. And you know what I've been using for fuel? Jet fuel? Yeah, well, yeah, p- at least three picograms of jet fuel <laughs> from the uh, John Jones collection. No, I have been using Ripper Nutrition. Any listener to the State of Combat Boxing podcast knows that Badu Jack, the light heavyweight contender, former champion, has his own line of uh, powders, you know, the 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 purple, the pink. And uh, the fine folks at Ripper sent me some nice samples, and I am back on the sauce, if you will, getting me jacked up to get there in the gym. Because you know when you're lazy and washed, you're like, yeah, I, I want to go to the gym today, but will I? You pour that purple powder in the water and stir it up, wise man. You're at the damn gym, okay? You're you're doing things you didn't think you were going to do. All the training and all the sex I've been getting. Yeah, my body needs some time yeah, I need some time off too. Derek Lewis and I living probably the same life right now. I still, I, I, I like to find out that question as well. All right, so yeah, shout out to Ripper. Avers, pink and purple. I need. I have so many questions. I don't know if I can pass the USADA test right now. Is that where you're going with this? 
<laughs> you just said that you get the pink or the purple. Are those flavors? No, yeah, yeah, th- yeah. The one is a pre-nutrition powder. One is a post. One's pink, one's purple. And there's, there's, they do things, you know, they do things inside your body. Like right now in the headlines wise, Anderson Silva at 43 is trying to bring back TRT, Mohawk fighting, trying to bring back Prime Vitor. I think Prime Vitor lives in that bottle that I'm taking of the pink right now. It's fantastic. I feel like you take that a little bit just before we start every podcast. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> never, you got to get your energy up. Never you in the nose, though, no with booger that. sugar. All right. At some point, we're going to have to start this show and talk MMA. I already teased up our great guests. We're going to preview everything going on in Brooklyn. And by the way, our, our boy Dan Lambert's going to have a lot to say about that, about Greg Hardy, about Amanda Nunez, you know, everything she's doing, maybe talk some wrestling championship belt stuff, but... What's going on in the news cycle here, Wise, that's tickled your fancy since the last time we did this show? (laughs) You say that, and then I remember that the last time we talked was December 31st on this show, right? New Year's Eve. Since New Year's Eve, this is January 11th, there has been about 50 fights announced or (laughs) reported (laughs) that we have not yet been able to talk about. Most notably... Mr. John Jones is coming back on a quick turnaround for UFC 235, reportedly. I'm shocked by this. Yeah. Keep it up. Keep it up here. To face the man I did not want to see him fight, <laughs> Anthony Smith. Mr. 13 losses himself, Anthony Smith. Who's uh, Look, he's turned his career around. He's a hot prospect right now. But John Jones on two months turnaround? Really? Yeah. I don't know, man. That – it's such a weird booking. I think we talked about it a little bit like offline where we were saying how this might be just a, a stay busy fight or a still like John Jones might have needed a little bit more time before he gets that shot against Daniel Cormier again. You say time. That, I say cash. Does he need a little bit of cash? Is this just like a, hey, stay busy. We'll, we'll prop up Smith for one night for you. Maybe. I, I don't know. The uh, reports uh, early on from Dave Meltzer of, uh, of Wrestling Observer – he said that UFC 232 did about 700,000 pay-per-view buys. So I don't know how much he's really hurting for cash if they're doing that kind of number on him. It's a fair point, but he has, you know, had two straight full years out of action. Probably True. had some with legal a lot bills. of litigation. Yeah, I went to arbitration to get his name cleared with USADA in almost unprecedented fashion, and also he passed his post-fight California tests for 232 the victory over Gustafson in the rematch so Dana White will not have to die I'm gonna let that sit there all right all right there it is there it is <laughs> oh wow how do we get out of that one with a fun sound bite right what that is what can I say yeah what can you say Rampage you did uh so 235 now wise is jacked packed and stacked on that ripper nutrition right now we say this as a joke constantly you and i we talk mma like this card looks so good i can't wait for it to fall apart and disappoint us when somebody misses weight and somebody gets arrested and somebody gets pregnant and all these bad things start to happen right now these fights are not real until they step in the octagon yes 235 is mint 235 is like two dates in with a girl and you're like I could marry this chick. This is great. Like you haven't, you know, nothing's bad. You haven't seen how the sausage is just really made. You haven't seen anything. Everything's perfect right now. It's not necessarily a stat card on like two or three of the best fights of the year. It's more stretched and spread. 
there's more names on this. Like from a journalistic point of view, I want to go there and interview all these people. This thing is jacked with names. Speak it right now. Speak it, believe it, receive it, Deontay. March second, is it in uh in Vegas? Yep. Two thirty five. So Run it down this, for us. This is what we got right now. These are these have all either been announced or reported so far. Headline John Jones versus Anthony Smith, light heavyweight title fight. Co main event. Tyron Woodley, Kamaru Usman for the welterweight title. Yes. We'll get into that more in a second. Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren, welterweight fight. Fireworks. Zabit versus Jeremy Stevens, featherweight fight. One person will die. Yes. <laughs> uh, Tisha Torres versus Weili Zhang, that the Chinese women's bantamweight that or sorry strawweight that is terrifying in the ring. Just so you know. I still believe in the Tisha era. Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. That's going to be a banger. That's just, they will bang. She bangs, she bangs in that one. Yes. Holly Holm versus Aspen Ladd in a crossroads That's match. That's an incredible fight. This is going to be like the ninth most important fight on this card. You know that fight can headline any fight night around the country. Exactly. And not to be outdone, Ovin St. Pru versus Misha Serkinov in a light heavyweight showdown. Good. Lord, this is going to be some fun-ass stuff going on. We're going to see KOs. We're going to see brawls. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot the another one that's probably going to be on the main card for pay-per-view. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. Yes. At bantamweight. If you've noticed one thing, there's a lot of sex on this card. And I mean that in a, in a, in like a sexy matchups, names we need to see. It's a good, like this is, this is, Let's do this, UFC 235. Let's start this year with a bang. Let's do this. So hopefully everybody stays healthy. The big one there that you mentioned that has longer repercussions, of course, is what probably will be the co-main event. Very, very good fight on paper. Welterweight title about Tyron Woodley, Kamaru Usman. Kamaru's been on this show. He's had to go down a long road of proving himself to get here. But what the hell happened to Colby Covington, the interim champion? We will get into more of this later with Dan Lambert of ATT, who works hand-in-hand with Colby. But, Wise, from your point of view, Colby was next in line. Every time the UFC seems to ask him, you ready? You ready to go? He's like, well, hold on. Maybe next month. How do you – did he get screwed here or did Colby screw Colby? See, this is where the politics get really weird in this sport because you can't really say that Colby didn't deserve the shot. Like, he fought all the guys that Kamaru fought and he fought them first yeah. and he – pulverize them first like he didn't just just win close close decisions or anything like he did damage in those fights and for ufc to say that he turned down multiple chances to fight um tyron woodley i just don't understand how that's possible like he fought okay let's go through the timeline again because that's the important thing here ufc 225 interim welterweight title fight because tyron woodley was hurt right he fights against rafael dos anjos and he dominates him Five-round, 25-minute war, wins the fight. Has a sinus issue after the fight. I mean, you say what you want, but, like, that's a that, that'll affect a fighter because it affects your breathing, it affects your cardio, it affects everything. He also dodged a boomerang from uh, your boy Verdum in, in the middle of that, so that'll affect you mentally. Yeah, keep going. That was before all of this, but anyway. So then they ask him the month after to take on Tyron Woodley in September. That's six weeks' notice to take a fight while he needs to get a surgery. And as Dan Lambert will tell us later on, he said, I can't do September. I need the surgery. I need to get this right before I take a, a title fight. Like, 
I mean, you can't just expect somebody to take a title fight hurt. Like, that can't be the game that we play anymore. You need these guys healthy. You want them at peak physical form or else you're not going to get a good product. So let's pause right there. You mentioned that. And it seemed like we were finally going away from that era, that era of, like, I need to be a company man first, that era of Cain Velasquez with a really bad knee facing Junior Dos Santos in the first UFC on Fox card in 2011 and getting knocked out in the first round. And we found out after he shouldn't even been in there, but you're trying to do the good thing. Now we're seeing an era the last two years, fighters standing up for themselves more, fighters doing that. But now I feel like we're going back because why did Kamaru Usman ultimately get this fight? Because he was dealing in old school UFC currency, which gets you to the top, which is I'll fight anybody at any time on no notice whatsoever. I'll be there. So it seemed like Colby got the interim title and you can argue what it was. Is he just standing up for himself? Because, yes, he wants to be the best he can be and be healthy in there. We're starting to see more guys do that. Or was he maybe getting a little diva-ish? And now Dana was like, you know what? Screw you. Because we got a new TV deal. We need good fights. Let's do it now. Now. That's why we gave you that interim belt. Because we needed a fight now because Tyron wasn't ready. So now, Colby, you're not ready? We need this title fight now, brother. I don't care that you're MAGA. I don't care that we all hang out with Trump afterwards. You're out. Well, here's the problem, though. So let's say, let's say in a hypothetical that he took the fight in September against Tyron, right? And he's not 100% healthy. He's got this issue that he needs to deal with. And he gets destroyed. Like Tyron just goes out there and beats him to a pulp. Now, if you're Colby, you're in the back of the line again. You're probably the number five person in the, in the rankings and you have to work your way back up. So it, it, it's, it's behoove of him to wait and get healthy. And try to get his title shot because he is at the top of the line right now instead of forcing himself into a, into a fight where he's probably not healthy enough to win. Well, so. Yeah, that's, that's all fair. Uh, there, there's tough calls for fighters right now. Tony Ferguson coming back from that injury, that freak injury at 223 made a tough ass call to take on Anthony Pettis, which turned out to be my fight of the year. An insane brawl in which he won. But as we talked about, had he lost that, you're not at the top of the line anymore, despite your 10-fight win streak. It's over. Your interim title is over. So these are tough calls for these guys. What's interesting is that Colby is exercising his value at the moment to try to find out what his value is. What I mean by that, his response to all this was F UFC on the Ariel Hawani ESPN show. F you, Dana. Like, standing up for himself. And now it's like, if I'm coming back, I'm only getting main event unification money. You can say that. I don't think you're going to get it. And now suddenly he's willing to fight Darren Till in Europe. That seems to me like a little bit of a, a backstep ahead. Basically like, all right, I can talk tough, but I can't get too far out of this rotation. I, I tried to go all in and Dana stiff armed me and now I got to go back in line. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, again, trying to see both sides of this. It's like Tyre, Colby keeps saying now that he was offered – the chance to fight at 233, which has since been canceled, against Tyron for the fight, for the title. And Tyron was the one who said he needed more time, not Colby. He had the surgery. He was getting his health back to, to normal. And then they were like, oh, well, Tyron doesn't, can't make that fight. Let's do 235. And Colby said that he had some issue come – I don't remember what he said, but he had some issue in March that he couldn't do it. So – now he says he wants that t- that title money against Darren Till, which, to be fair, 
if I'm fighting Darren Till in England, I want championship money too because as we saw with Steven Thompson, you might get a raw deal. What we're learning here, well, maybe what we already knew, like Luke Thomas, uh, uh, my brethren on the uh, on the MMA Beat Show, love him from Sirius XM and MMA Fighting, had this great take the other day on his YouTube thing that's just like, Dana and UFC doesn't care anymore. And really, they've never cared. But right now, they're showing you they're just going to make whatever decision, and we're just going to sit here as the media and constantly criticize it. And to be on Dana's side as a fighter, Brando, you got to just stick your finger in your mouth and stick it out in the wind and try to guess which way it's going because you're right colby was ready in the past when tyron wasn't now he's ready now he's not ready tyron is and now he loses out there doesn't seem to be a right rhyme and reason why is brock promised a title shot when he's coming back off steroids why did john jones get a title shot he didn't deserve off steroids why did till get that title shot that time he didn't deserve after missing weight and not beating thompson well, he may have only gotten it because Colby wasn't ready. So it's like, it makes no sense, dude. Nothing makes sense. There's no women's featherweights rankings on the UFC.com site. Nothing makes sense right now. Yeah, I, so that's the thing. It's just like, it, this division is just so confusing. We don't know who the number one contender truly is. I, To be honest, though, I am glad that, that, Ty, that Kamaru is going to get his shot. Like, we've talked to him before. We talked about how dominant he is, and he is deserving. Like of those of those title contenders in 170 now, he is deserving. Colby is also deserving. I would have actually liked them to do a Colby Kamaru fight before they do a Tyron fight, but this is where we're at now. And I really like love the hell out of this Kamaru Tyron Woodley fight. I can't wait to see what it looks like in March. Yeah, I think you nailed that one part where Kamaru was setting himself up to be the odd man out. He was going to have to go the Max Holloway route and win like 13 in a row before ever finally getting the title shot. He just wasn't marketable enough, didn't finish guys, although he's dominating them. And this works out well for him. Um, did they, are they stripping Colby of the interim title or are they not? Cause you can't guess anymore. You don't even, I, I don't even know if Tony Ferguson still has an interim title right now. Does he? Is there such a thing? No, right? I, you got me, man. No, nothing makes sense. Like we said, we are just booking fights at this point to book fights. Titles don't matter, even though they should. Uh, gun like, to your I, head. The title at 170 matters, but it's just like, Did you don't Jermaine actually know who the number one, con- Durand- number one contenders are. True. Did Jermaine Durandamy get screwed when she was stripped? Yes. Did Nico Montano get screwed when she was stripped? Yes. You're, you're damn right. You're right. It's the truth. I mean, Nico deserves to fight for the title. I don't understand Nico why. Nico did what Nunez did the year before and didn't get stripped, although Dana did promise that she would never main event a pay-per-view again. Did she since then? Yeah. yeah she did against Shevchenko. Yeah. No, against Pennington as well. Yeah, she did twice yeah. since then. <laughs> it's uh, so much chatter there's, in UFC. There's, there's just very few so- things in the UFC that are certain these days. Water is wet, fire burn, and I'm going to beat Michael Bisping. Those oh. are the only three right there. All right, yeah. that's that's it. Michael Bisping is always going to lose? To GSP, yes. yes. To oh. GSP. Unless Luke Rockhold gets part of that. GSP, I don't know what I need to do. You want me to beat some sense into you? Yes. You don't belong here. You're going to get crushed. Better back out. Get out of this thing while you still can. This is my fight. This is my fight. And I'll be there soon as, sooner than you motherfucker. Yeah, bring it, Luke. I love Prime Luke, man. I know it's over. I still have the two posters of him and Weidman on my wall, including the, the 199 that never happened. But, um, yeah, 
I don't think there's better trash talk than saying you don't belong here. Sooner than you, mother beep. That was, you know, I'll, I'll live and die by that line. We got a lot of good sound buttons on here. That's one of my favorite ones, although it makes no sense and it's not true. But, uh, what else we got that was signed here? Let's run this down. You got dates and fights. What do we got here? So we got another one that has yet to be determined for a date or I'm sorry, the date I think has been announced, but they don't have a venue yet. But your girl, Rose Nama Yunus is back, baby. Thug Rose is back. She's going to take on Jessica Andrade in Andrade's backyard. And they're trying to make it at Curtabita in Brazil for the women's strawway title on May 7th. May 11th, I think, is the date. Dude, it's whatever that second Saturday is in May. That's going to be a hellacious fight for Rose. Jessica Andrade is running on such a high cylinder. I mean, we talk about, you know, one of those knockout of the year contenders last year against Carolina where – one shot, you don't see that on the women's level at that weight class. Uh, Andrade has really turned around, and I think she's making with these three straight wins over, you know, three of the top names in the division. When you consider Claudia, that's a correct pronunciation, right? I think you're right. Yeah, that's the actual pronunciation. The KO of Carolina. What was the third win she had since that lo- since the title loss? Or Tisha? Yeah, she's really t- taking down the top names in the division. And the thing is, man, she's really like it makes her title performance against. Young Jacek, even though she lost, even though she lost widely, it kind of makes it look better because she never quit in that fight. She did rock Ioana late. Yeah, she was down big on the cards. Yeah, she lost. I think she's a better fighter since then. In MMA math, in boxing math, can be weird, right? Like, Ali can beat Foreman, but also lose to Norton, yet Foreman can own Norton and Frazier. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's not a science of, well, this guy beat this guy, so he beat this guy. So, even though Joanna, style-wise in her prime, was going to beat Andrade as the champion, I think I got to favor Andrade just as this fight gets announced to knock out Rose. And that's not knocking the fact that Rose might be my favorite fighter in the fan in me, and she's evolved tremendously. And her last fight against Joanna was arguably one of the best fights of the year. But man, Andrade is running through people. Rose is going to have to show a lot in this one. She showed a lot against Joanna. Joanna doesn't have knockout power though. This is a different type of element here that's true um i just think that rose's length is going to be a big factor here i've always to me when i when i'm looking at fights that are kind of like this with like power versus technique or size versus uh smaller per like uh rose has such long arms and long legs that she's able to keep people at distance whereas andrage is tight and compact and she wants to get in on your guard to land those heavy punches and hooks so to me I've always preferred the person with the length because you can keep people at bay at a like easier and it's harder for the the person that doesn't have the long limbs to get in because they're going to burn all their cardio trying to get you and chasing you around the ring in the octagon because it's just tougher because like I said you can't get inside of the guard as easy when somebody's able to just kick you away and keep you at bay with their arm with their counters so I think you might be right in that that Jessica might be able to land that that big knockout punch, but I just think it's going to be so tough for her to get inside on Rose and land those shots because of Rose's length. I think Rose, Rose is a better boxer. Rose is a way better boxer now than she ever has been. But you know, I see I can see a scenario where she's winning rounds, but Andrade is cutting down that distance and landing a few bombs, and then you're like, whoa, what? Like, where are we going here? Is this fight going to end? It's going to be fun to watch. I, I like I said, I got a favor. I got a favor of the Brazilian right now. And to be fair, I, I say that it hurts the cardio for somebody that's the smaller person that has to chase, but 
Jessica has shown us in the last two or three fights, her cardio is insane. That Tisha fight in Orlando, I think it was in Orlando or Tampa, I don't remember, but she was just chased Tisha down the whole time, picked her up and like threw her across the octagon, if I remember correctly. Like she is a muscle hamster and yeah. she is just going to try and out- overpower Rose at every turn. If she shows up with a mohawk. Uh, we might have to ask questions if she's on the Ripper Nutrition. That's all I'm saying. Uh, your boy Dom Reyes is back. What, what, UFC Prague? This sounds like a JDS operation to me, right? Doesn't he headline every single random ass card in the country, in the world? Well, we'll get to JDS in a second, but yeah, Dom Reyes is back, man. He's 10 and 0 and he's getting our boy Vulcan Uzdemir in the main event at UFC Prague. I'm trying to find the date for that right now, but. He's looked so good in the last couple of fights. He's still, I think he's 10 and 0 now and he's on that, on that path to becoming another title contender in the 205 because like we said, like Anthony Smith is the, is the, is the guy fighting for the belt right now at 205. Dominic Reyes could be there next year. You know what Chael would say about Anthony Smith? When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. That's what you feel about Anthony Smith, but, uh, Look, Reyes makes this rise. I get Tony Ferguson vibes from him where I'm like, this guy's just different good. He's good on like a weird level. He's awkward and unique and he's going to be something special. And your boy Vulcan Ozdemir, I say he's your boy. Don't you live near him? Don't you go to the (laughs) same bars and get arrested with him? (laughs) No, he lives on Las Olas, though, which is right down here in Fort Lauderdale. And that's where he had that whole incident where he had to fight a court case i actually had that wrong they're not at ufc Prague. they're in they're at the london card ufc plus five ESPN however plus. ufc on espn plus five however we're naming um, these Vulcan's, things now he's trending in the wrong direction and he's gonna have a chance to be uh one of the worst title contenders UFC's had no his way. arc is gonna be insane if he loses this fight because he was the quickest rise when he was knocking dudes out in like 10 or 15 seconds gets to the title fight gets destroyed by DC and then kind of becomes gatekeeper. And now if he loses the Dom, he's just another dude again. Yeah. I'll have no time for him. All right. No time for that one. Uh, your boy, Peter Yan, I dude, I, you and I make these fun, um, t-shirt bets on the, on fights. And it's usually last minute. It's usually like, all right, who do you got this one? I'm putting a t-shirt on it. All right. That's why I'm dressed in, uh, uh, the Baron era, Baron time, team Barrow shirts. Um, if Peter Jan makes a shirt, I might have to wear it. And I know you're his number one fan club guy right now at the moment, but this guy's nasty. I'm so excited. He's taking on John Dodson. I believe I actually had that one right for UFC Prague. And, yeah, if he's able to make a fun fight with John Dodson, like, you're almost doing the impossible because John Dodson has not been do- having very many fun fights lately. He actually got that new contract last year, I believe, with UFC where he got another five-fight deal. But – Peter Yan, man, if he's able to get this win, he should definitely be in the top ten for bantamweight, right? Yeah, this, yeah, he's making, he's going to make quick moves. They're probably going to match him too fast, but I think he's got the backbone where it doesn't matter. He's he's, he's twenty five. He's only twenty five. No, and he fights ghetto. Ghetto man, and he fights in a ghetto way. He does. He just he's just wreck. He's just raw. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, what else you got? Run, run us down here. All right, do you want to do the buy or sell? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do that jam. All right, let's do it. Here we- here we go. We've got five more fights to go through that were announced. Somebody we were just talking about a minute ago. Carolina Cole Kawich will fight Michelle Waterson at UFC Philadelphia. Buying. Buying. 
buying with two hands, buying, okay? Can they do the uh, level up dance before it, that starts, or is that a sexist comment? This is a great fight. Both really need a big win, too. I really This is why I always say, wise, women's strawweight is the best division in all of MMA. Men's lightweight in UFC, probably the deepest. Women's strawweight always delivers. This matchup rules. You know it does. Yeah, this is going to be a great matchup. I just, I think to me, the the winner of this will be whoever gets the first submission attempt in because they're both just so good on the ground with their different techniques and, and roles. So I, I think Carolina should win this fight. She is the better MMA fighter. She but if Michelle is able to get on her back and lock in a choke, then it's going to be quick. Do you like Michelle as a broadcaster, as an analyst? Because she might be heading there with another loss here. Yeah. I mean, she's okay. She's better than Anthony Smith. I'm just going to keep it going. I'm going to make sure Anthony wow. Smith never comes on this podcast. You kick <laughs> your ass. Wow. Wow. Uh, all right. Uh, what, buy or sell here. UFC Wichita loading up with some heavyweights. JDS is back, fresh off a, uh, a recent dismantling. Who did he just beat? Uh... He beat uh, Tai Tuivasa. That's right. He, he, he pissed in a shoe and made him drink it against <laughs> the black damn beast, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls were hot. I understand. I understand. Our balls, all of our balls will be hot. This is going to be a war, buy or sell wise. 100% buy. On the condition that Derek Lewis's back is not messed up again because if his back is hurt, then this is going to be very quick for JDS and his boxing. This is going to be just a straight boxing match almost. There there might be some kicks added in, but my lord, are these dudes going to throw bombs at each other. And JDS, he's going to look so much bigger than Derek, even though Derek is a large man at what he's – he comes in – he has to cut weight to make the 265 limit. And he'll be – he's like what, 6'1", maybe? JDS is going to tower over him at 6'4". No, Lewis is like 6'4". Lewis is big, is dude. Yeah. So here's the, the, the fear I have for Lewis here. Um he put a lot mentally into into that quick turnaround and facing DC for the title, and suddenly it's like, oh my god, I might be a champion. And even though he tried to say, I don't care about it at all, I only care about the money, blah blah blah. You know, he got dialed into the fact that I could be the UFC champion. I'm just this dude from Houston who used to be incarcerated, and I could be a UFC champion. This is a quick turnaround for me against a really tough opponent. So I think there's fear. Is he going to be as emotionally jacked up for this? Maybe he's just that dude where it doesn't matter. It's just another paycheck, another day at the office. He'll go in there and bang. But because Junior Dos Santos, and he showed that against Ben Rothwell, really has the technical ability to, out, if he wants to, to just straight up outbox you, this could be a long night for Derek trying to line up that home run punch and just getting jabbed for five straight rounds and, 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 and end up setting himself up to gas and get knocked out. I don't know if it's that quick of a turnaround just because one was 230 on November, the first week of November. Right, but I'm, I'm considering that he turned around so quick from July at UFC sure. 226. Sure. But uh, whatever, uh, it's MMA, whatever, whatever, all right? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm a big JDS fan with his boxing and what he's done in those last couple fights since he's come back from that fake USADA suspension that they gave him. Like, he destroyed Blago, uh, Ivan, Iv, Blog you know, boy, yeah, uh, Blogger boy, your guy, yeah. Who's also fighting on this card? We're going to talk about him in a second. But his boxing, JDS's boxing has gotten so much better that I think he's going to keep taking these fights where they put him up against guys who are either on the rise or in close to title contention. And he's just going to keep knocking them out. And then they're going to be in that situation again where they're like, 
I guess JDS is fighting for the UFC heavyweight title for a 15th time. Give me the Stipe trilogy. It's time. Yeah, yeah, why not? Uh, speaking of blog boy, Ivanovov, he's facing Ben Rothwell. Where? Wow. <laughs> Remember that guy? Remember that guy used to dance after he would win? Dude, this Wichita card has all of the old UFC heavyweights on it. You know who else is on this card? Tim Boach. Wow. Dude, every time I've interviewed Tim Boach, every single time, he's like, if I don't win, I'm getting cut. He said that <laughs> every single fight. Yeah. Uh, ben Rothwell, though, I think he had an, was, he was on a uh, USADA suspension, yes. right? Yes. This is his first one. time back since that? Yeah, it is. And I don't know if it was one of the real ones or the weird ones, right? The weird ones being like, I've, ha- I got a pictogram in my, piss and it's like a piece of rice inside of an ocean and you know or if it was like no i i i went to belfort's barbershop and asked for the high and tight you know i don't know which one it was but uh i also i i don't know how much i like this fight just because i don't love it i don't love it i don't know like we saw what ivanovov has against jds and to his credit he boxed pretty well for two rounds but he gassed so quick in that main event because it was a five round fight and by the fifth, by the fourth and fifth round, he was barely able to punch because he was so tired. Dude, I'm sorry. Five round fights need to be earned. They either need to be a title shot or a non-title. I really have to see this fight. It's a main event. Okay, go five rounds. Incite the fans. Um, a UFC Albany card with like Derek Lewis against uh, what was that dude's name? Uh, Abdur uh, Sharif Abdur Rahimov. Remember that guy that that heavyweight. That should not be a five-round fight. It should not. There's no reason that a below subpar average heavyweight who shouldn't even be main eventing a UFC New Brunswick Nova Scotia card to begin with is going to then have to go five rounds. It doesn't make any sense. Making his UFC debut because he was a he was the WSOF heavyweight champion. I think it was. Get the heck out of here. Uh, buy or sell on you uh, at you at that loaded UFC 235 card. We got a women's bantamweight bout. Pollyanna Viana. Versus Hannah Cyphers. And Viana's fresh off pulling a John Jones, right? Pulling a John Jones. Staving off a mugger? Although that one was staged before the Hua fight. You remember that, right? I don't remember that, you actually. remember that on the streets of Newark? They set, they staged that John was walking by and that a guy snatched somebody's purse and that John ran him down and put him in a rear naked and it became a headline everywhere that this young kid, John Jones, who's fighting for his first title this weekend, also is such a good guy. He just beat off a mugger and then we find out after the fact it was fake. It was staged. I did not know that. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't think this was staged based on the pictures I saw. No, but Holy she kind of... beat that dude's ass. Do you now want to see her fight because of that? Yes, 100%. Hannah Cyphers was a decently uh, high prospect coming in. I, I don't remember what happened in her last fight, but uh, Poliana Viana should get some good buzz coming into this based on what she was able to do, or I should say allegedly did, because we don't know what happened. We only know her side of the story and what the cops reported. All we know is that Rachel Ostevich was okay with her being on this card because it's separate issues. Not, no, you're not going to follow that. You're just going to let that just. Anna Cipher's lost to Macy Barber, that 20 year old prospect in her last Fred fight. Fred Okamoto's favorite fighter in the world. Fred Okamoto's favorite fighter. Yes, yes, that's what I'm talking about. All right, uh, are you buying or selling this uh, UFC Fortaleza Brazil fight? Charles Oliveira against David Tamer. I am so here for this fight. This is going to be a damn war, man. Charles Oliveira gets a quick turnaround after he. Uh, <laughs> Sent uh, Jim Miller into an early retirement again for the 40th time against <laughs> David Tamer at Fortezella in, in February. 
yeah, I'm I'm all in on this fight. This is going to be a great set. Great How many fight. more lives does Charles Oliveira have? How many more lives? Yeah, I feel like he just keeps reinventing himself, and then we're like, oh, he's special, and then he loses three in a row. And <laughs> he's got the Tiago Alves. Yeah. All right, all right. Remember that time there was way too many Tiagos and Alveses and Santoses, and it was really hard. There was like a Paulo Tiago, and then a Tiago Alves, and then a Tiago yeah, Paulino. Santos. Yeah, Tiago yeah. Santos. Uh, final buy or sell here. Your girl, all right, with the fake Brazilian accent, Mackenzie Dern, the UFC women's straw weight contender who missed weight by seven pounds a year and a half ago against abc amanda bobby cooper is going to be back and they've decided she will be back at 115 are you buying that this is physically possible no i am not buying on that i don't understand what is like what's the advantage you're getting at this point like this just goes back to again for the 50th time, we'll have this discussion. Why are we forcing these damn fighters to fight 10 pounds lower than their bodies will allow? Because it's not healthy. She's going to have a health scare in the next two years where we're like, hey, maybe you shouldn't keep doing this. Oh, no, I can make the weight. No, don't worry. It's, it's got, I just got to change my diet again. It's like, come on, man. Just go up. Well, you're, feels, yeah. you're going to be just as strong at 125 as you are at 115. This feels bad on, on, on either level, meaning, A, you're right, there's this potential health scare, and you're like, why are you doing it to such a young, promising fighter who, you know, really has a, a personality that people like, really can be a potentially a, a marketable star? And then the other side is, when you miss weight by seven pounds, you're either a horrific unprofessional or, you know, your body's growing fast and you can never go back down to that weight again. So if it's not a health scare, then it screams that she wasn't professional the first time around. So what's their thinking? That she didn't do the right diet? That she, like, I just don't get it. Like, was she that bad at, at preparing for fights that now uh they, they can just recreate it? Because, again, it's not like one pound or two pounds. It's seven pounds is like a giant warning sign. So it either makes her look really bad or it makes the sport look really bad either way. But... Uh, she can make it and keep winning. I mean, come on. Did you mention, I, I was looking up something. Did you mention that this wasn't the first time that she had missed weight either, by the way? Yeah, she's perennial on that. So maybe like, it, this may- was her fourth and seven that she hasn't been able to make oh, 115. God. Okay. That, enough. I've seen and heard enough. Okay. I, I mean, what do you, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. All right. Hey, let's get into our first of two very good interviews. This man is the head coach of ATT. Dan Lambert got a lot of fun categories we're going to get into. Buckle up. This guy needs his own show, I think, by the way, wise. I think this guy's an untapped talent. Maybe drop a few F-bombs along the way. Dan Lambert coming your way. Enjoy. All right, we are back on the State of Combat. Special guest inside the Fort Lauderdale studio sitting next to my man Brandon Wise. He's the founder of ATT, American Top Team, one of the top gyms in all of mixed martial arts and one of the t- Pro Wrestling's top heels in 2017 with Impact Wrestling. Believe that. The great Dan Lambert stopping by to chop it up with us. How are you, Dan? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Wise man. We got so much we can get into with this guy. Where do you want to start? Oh, man. I think there's only one place to start, and that's Amanda Nunes. I mean, the, the champ <laughs> I champ. I think that sums it up pretty well. Works for me. <laughs> Uh, you know, if we, we want to get right into Amanda, of course, knocking out Chris Cyborg, that really I thought the women's goat, if you want to get historical, coming in to that fight at UFC 232. Seeing Amanda's journey to get here, 
I know that you've celebrated a lot of big wins for your fighters. How, where does this one rank in that? Yeah, you know, it's going to be hard to beat the champ champ. You know, that's a that's kind of a crazy accomplishment, you know, especially, you know, the way she won, who she beat. You know, Cyborg was, you know, almost like a mythological figure out there, you know, unbeatable champion forever and uh huge accomplishment. It's, it, that's right there at the top. I'm going to have a hard time finding a better moment for the team than that. I thought her evolution as a fighter has just been incredible. I mean, she's certainly on this great winning streak, but there were stops along the way where we're like, okay, great puncher, doesn't have five-round championship stamina, might not have this. I feel like there's no more, there's nothing left where I can say I can question her in this category. It's, it's a talk about really how she's gotten to this point. Um, Amanda is no doubt a complete fighter. People who, who want to try to find holes in her game, you know, good luck exposing those holes. You know, over the course of a fighter's career, you know, Fighters have to get better at certain things, and some people have these ideas of a fighter who gets tired in a fight three years ago, four years ago, two years ago. Oh, that fighter's got a bad gas tank. They're always going to have a bad gas tank. That's just that's just not true. There's different reasons for cardio, and, and a big reason that I think it's understated is is the psychological aspect of it. A lot of fighters are just not confident in their gas tank, and and it just it has like an exponential effect when they get in there and they start worrying about it and they they stop doing certain things and they tense up and they get the more they worry about it the more tired they get, and I think if you watch Amanda's earlier fights when she didn't didn't necessarily have the confidence level in different parts of her game, you know she would get tired and 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 once she started getting on a good winning streak and she got more comfortable with her coaches and her training partners and she got some big wins under her belt, she just realized that you know she's a hell of a good fighter and there's really it's not going to be anybody out there that's going to beat her in her mind, and, and and her cardio has has really reflected that. What was it like when she decided to make the transition from MMA Masters to come over to American Top Team? How did that go for her and with you guys? Did you have a talk with her before she made that move official? Yeah, well, well, Nina Ansaroff, she had trained with us years past prior to, to going to MMA and Masters, and, and then Nina made the switch over there and met Amanda. And MMA Masters, that's a great gym. Good guy. Caesar and Daniel Valverde, great guys. I really like those guys. Daniel Valverde trained with us for, for years and is probably the best submission jiu-jitsu guy you're ever going to touch on a mat. The guy's amazing. Um, they didn't have a lot of girl fighters there. Um, and at one point, Amanda just didn't feel like it was the right fit for her. She lost the fight to Kat. At one point, she was, you know, wondering if she even wanted to continue fighting or if she just wanted to help coach Nina and um, they decided they needed a change and, and Nina came to me and said hey you know I'm, I'm interested in coming back I'd like to bring Amanda with me and just by coincidence a couple of weeks prior to that phone call I was trying to get somebody in the UFC in the men's 145 division I don't recall who it was but it was a good fighter good prospect I think he was undefeated he's a clearly a UFC level guy and I just couldn't get him in because because the, they were so stacked at the division they didn't have any openings and, and Shelby's like Dude, I don't want any more guys. I'm stacked. Send me some chicks. I need women. <laughs> and, and and Nina makes that call. I'm like, wow, there, there's a good jump start. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So their relationship has become part of their, their storyline now, it seems like. Nina, I actually talked to her a few weeks ago, and she was saying how at one point she was considering quitting just because she was not moving up in the rankings. She wasn't getting the push that she felt like she deserved. Now she's on the precipice of getting her own title shot. What's that been like in the gym for those two to have that relationship and be able to say we're this close to being triple champ? I mean, Nina's a very underrated fighter. You watch Nina in the gym, and, and Nina goes hard with everybody, and she does really well with top, top-level people in the gym. It hasn't necessarily translated in the cage as much, 
you know, it seems like in the past maybe she fought to the level of her opponent and, and didn't really step on that gas and just did enough to either win or maybe even lose a really close decision. But she's a really good fighter, and I think people started to see this in her last fight, and I'm really excited to see how that translates from a confidence level into her next fight. But to see those two go on that journey and – I mean, I think I think seeing Amanda do what Amanda did was a huge boost to Nina's confidence as well, because Nina's like, man, I'm fighting her every goddamn day in the gym and I'm holding my own. And she's going out and doing this. You know, I need to go out and do this and show the world what I could do. So they're both they're both on a really good run now and, and they're both really good people and really nice people. So it's. It's kind of an extra bonus to see them do well. Now, Dan, to topple somebody like Cyborg, it's not just you know skill and technique. There seemed to be like, and it was just just I don't want to use the term wanted it more, but nobody was lining up to fight Cyborg. Not only did Amanda go after that fight, the way she carried herself in there, I I can't remember a time I've seen a fighter as confident, as ready to do what. Even though we're talking about two champions, even though this was a super fight, there really wasn't a lot of people that are saying, "Yeah, Amanda's going to go in there and knock Cyborg out." Who is she deep inside to be able to have that type of confidence to do that? You know, uh, you, you have to be confident, obviously, when you're going to go into a, a fight. I mean, you're locking yourself in a cage. Somebody wants to take your head off. Um, there's some people that, you know, have false bravado. There's some people that are just overconfident. There's some people that are quietly confident. Amanda is is a very realistic fighter. She knows what she can do. She's typically confident going into her fights, and it's been increasing as the fights have gone on or success has gone on. But But this fight? This was a whole nother level of, of Amanda Nunez on, on the confidence scale. She did not doubt for one second. I mean, she did not give this fight one chance, one iota that she wasn't going to go out there and, and win that fight. She was uber, uber confident in her abilities, how she matched up. Um, you know, the strategy wasn't just run out there and jump into a firefight and see if we could end this thing in a minute. I mean, Amanda's a very technical fighter. She's good at distance. She's good at range. She's got really good calf kicks. Um, she was the, the game plan was to utilize that, but she said she said she got in there and the first time she ate a punch from Cyborg, she's like, "Wow, that that wasn't very hard. I'm just going to knock her out." So the game plan kind of <laughs> went out. She said, "I can knock her out. I'm going to do it. Why waste time?" That's crazy because after the fact, when we see these upsets, and I yeah, this is an upset. It certainly was an upset on the level of let's say Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey. But even after the fact, we're all like, "Man." We should have seen that coming. We should have seen the exposable holes in Rousey's game. Do you feel like there's elements of Cyborg that had been missed with the myth that when Nunez was able to to really take her apart, that maybe we should have seen some of that coming? Um, I, I think it's more just of what Amanda brings to the table than than that that Cyborg was either overrated or or miscalculated how tough she is. Cyborg's obviously a a very good fighter, and she's dominated people for a long time. I mean, you don't just stumble onto. 13 years of being undefeated like that. You know, did she have any huge challenges along the way? You know what? I don't know. A lot of people say Larry Holmes didn't have any big challenges and he just got fortunate with timing. Or you know what? Maybe he was just that much better than everybody else was. And the challenges were there. He was just that much better. And I, I think Cyborg was probably that just that much better than everybody else in her weight class. But, you know, I, I give this more of a credit to Amanda than a discredit to Cyborg. Amanda is just really really good and you, and you won't realize how good she is unless you go into the gym and you watch her and you watch how she moves and you watch how she trains and you watch how she hits takedowns and how she strikes and everything she does how she hits pads and kicks and and lifts weights and just she doesn't move like like you would think somebody would move she's just man it's it's, it's hard to explain i mean she is she's just that good and wise man they were the real main event at 232 in la and if UFC is going to cash in the ticket of the rematch. If that's the direction they want to go, 
this is a, this is a, this is an event. This is a, I have to be there. I have to see this thing. Yeah. That's what we've been talking about is what, what is next now? I mean, she, <clears throat> excuse me, Amanda played downplayed the, the chances of a rematch soon. She said on, on UFC unfiltered two years that she's going to make cyborg wait. What, what do you think would be next for her? You know, it's, I think the simple answer to that is whatever the fuck Dana wants. I, I don't <laughs> think he really cares what Amanda wants or what we want or, or sometimes even what the fans want. I mean, they're, they're going to make the decision on what they think makes the most sense for them and what makes the most money for the company. And, and that's what, that's the fight they're going to pick. And that's the fight Amanda's going to take. Um, if it's Cyborg, it's Cyborg. If it's, if it's somebody else and maybe they build towards another rematch with Cyborg, if, if Cyborg has, you know, go and win a fight or two along the way or, um, or if they want to put like a Caitlin Vieira at 135, and 135 is obviously deeper than 145. Mm-hmm. Amanda's comfortable at both weight classes. She can make the weights easily. Um, she doesn't want to give up a belt. She wants to defend both belts. She wants to be the first person to be a champ champ and actually defend each one. Do you think that they're going to keep this 145 division around? Because the running joke with us is that they still haven't put rankings on the damn website. Why are they going to have this belt still be here? I think they will. I think they see this as an opportunity to, to, to really promote Amanda and uh, what better way to do that than let her defend both of them so I, I would be surprised if they didn't I'm, I'm not as confident in the in the 125 pound division depending <laughs> on what what happens in January uh, later this month but but I think they're going to keep both belts and I think they're going to let her defend each one now, now Dan- going off of what you were saying about Dana and how he will do whatever the hell he wants that was my question nice nice fight. segue perfect <laughs> this is the Colby let's, segue? let's go back to Colby so <laughs> What happened there that you can tell us about with how they ended up picking Kamaru Usman to, to fight against Tyron Woodley for the main event at UFC two or co-main event at UFC two thirty five for the one hundred and seventy pound title? Um, for lack of a better way to say it, I, I think Colby's got a bum deal. I mean, I've I've been in a lot of situations with the UFC where they've had different opinions as to what they want to do with a class or a division or a particular fighter that than we have, but and usually I I. I tend to agree with them because they're the promoters they're the ones who've made all this money they know what they're doing they don't tell us how to train fighters we don't tell them how to how to promote fights who are we to say that um but when you look at the sequence of events leading up to to t wood and colby it it just really kind of defies logic um i mean they they told colby in in june when's the belt the interim belt in june they tell him in july they want to turn around and fight early september he was just going in for a surgery that he really needed, and it's easy for someone in, a, in an office a thousand miles away to say, oh, I don't think you need that surgery. I think you can wait. Um, he needed the surgery. All he needed to do was wait an extra month. He said, I can fight in October. I can fight in November. I can fight in December. I just can't fight in September. But, you know, the, the way their schedule worked, they said, nope, if you're not ready, we're going to put somebody else in there. I get that. So they, they put Darren Till in, and, and T would, you know, fought Till. But why not after that? There's, there's I, I get that logic, but I don't understand the logic how we get from that to Colby getting to getting jumped. He agreed to take that fight in November. Woodley got injured in the in the till fight. He couldn't do it. He agreed to fight somebody else in November. Last minute notice that they tried to put together for Madison Square Garden. The other guy didn't go through with it, so they pulled him off that. They asked him to fight Woodley in in January. Colby agreed to that. And then a few weeks ago, they they tell Colby, sorry, Woodley can't make that. He can make March second. We want you to fight Usman January nineteenth. And the winner will fight Woodley six weeks later. Well, I mean, how does that math work? You're going to take a title fight, a five-round fight against a tough guy, not a title fight because it wasn't even going to be for a title. But you're going to take a five-round fight hoping to, to win and then turn around six weeks later to fight Tyron Woodley, who might be the greatest welterweight of all time. And that, that math doesn't make a lot of sense. So when he turned that down, they said, well, Usman agreed to that fight, so we're going to let him jump. 
Colby. I mean, I, I don't understand the logic on that. Yeah, of course Usman agreed to take that fight. He wants Colby's spot. I mean, right. at one point, George Clooney would have done a hemorrhoid commercial if it was offered to him because he's going to get his name out there. I mean, shit, everybody wants to jump and take your spot. It's kind of like Askren saying he wants to fight Usman. Right. You know, well, why would Usman fight Askren right now? Ben's really good, and Usman's got that spot. Why would he risk that against him when he can wait? So I don't know why they did it. Um, I think Colby and T. Wood's a better fight. I think it's a fight fans want to see more. I think it would do a better pay-per-view buy. But what the f- do I know? You know, we train fighters. We don't we don't put on fights. So we'll see. I'm sure it'll work itself out eventually. Now, we know Colby has a very polarizing personality. His response to this, at least when I saw him when he was on Ariel Hawani's ESPN show, was to go for it. F-U-F-C. To sort of, uh, you know, full Monty, put it out there. Uh we know this guy tries to shake things up a little bit. Is this too far to try to throw your boss under the bell bus after you feel they backed the bus on top of you? Yeah, you know, I, I actually talked to Colby when the news came out that that Usman was getting the shot and tried tried to prepare him for that and the media that's going to come forth. And you know, was not my advice to go on a Dana rant. <laughs> you know, I, I, I gave him a, a kind of a one eighty from there to how how we could approach it. But uh, he wasn't having it. He's pissed. He thinks he got screwed over. He's upset, and he's really not the kind of person who's just going to sit back and, and be quiet and play the good soldier if he if he thinks he was wrong. So he said what he said. You know, Dana's a big boy. He's got thick skin. It's not the first time he's heard it. It's probably not the last time he's going to hear it. And uh, fact is, if, you, if you're a top contender and you keep winning your fights, you know, it should work out. Well, what what do you think would be next for Colby now that he's going to have to probably wait another six months before he's fighting even again for a top contender spot or the belt? If it were anybody else on my team, I'd say he's going to fight this guy or he's going to fight that guy. And, you know, the winner of that will fight the winner of Usman and and T-Wood. But he's not anybody else in the gym. When when he gets there and he says, you, he actually means you. You know, they, they say like the. The bad guy gimmicks that get over in wrestling or the good guy gimmicks that get over in wrestling are the ones that, you know, best reflect the guy's real personality. You know, Kobe's shtick, if you want to call it, is he's kind of an asshole. Well, he kind of is, you know, and when he <laughs> says off, he means, he means it. I, I, I'd be stunned if he turned around and agreed to a fight against anybody else in that division other than the champion. But let's go ahead, Hall. One second. Let's pause right there on the on the cultivation of this quote unquote shtick with Colby. We have this debate on the show constantly. Is this real? Is this you know? Is this guy believing? Is this guy just trying to take the master class on cutting the line and being you know the Conor McGregor book and being the showman? We know, Dan, you're a hell of a heel yourself during your time with Impact Wrestling. Are are you coaching him? Are you counseling him? I mean, you just said this might be who the real guy is. This is some serious stuff he puts out there. I'm telling you, I like Colby. He's been with us since he was a baby before he had ever fought. And he, he's come from kind of the cradle, cradle up to the title with us, which is kind of a cool thing for this sport because a lot of times guys will come to your gym after already, you know, reaching a certain level and you're just trying to take them to the next level. Um, I like him a lot, but it's not shtick. Colby's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love it. You heard it right here, Wise. All right. Stick that one in your pipe. Um, so he also, when he said F you to UFC and Dana, he said that he would consider going to a Bellator or a one. Do you really think that's possible? I mean, cause we were talking about it before money talks and if UFC is still offering the most money, that really wouldn't make sense for him. Right? Well, I mean, that would depend on if they were offering the most money, but they don't have to offer anything. Colby has a contract with the UFC. So for anything to happen 
for Colby to leave and go to one of those other companies who may or may not be willing to spend big dollars to, to bring Colby in, um, something would have to happen. Either UFC would have to release him or Colby would have to, you know, prove some type of breach to his contract to try to get out of it. But that would be a mess. You know, I, I'd certainly hate to go down that road. And I just think at the end of the day, they got pissed off that, you know, he wasn't willing to jump when they said jump. And uh, he was kind of marching to the beat of his own drummer. And they said, well, you know what? We're going to stick it to him and we're going to punish him a little bit and take this fight away from him. And I think once they get their pound of flesh on that, I think things will come back to normal and he'll be fine. Maybe how much? Yeah, I was going to say, wise, maybe Colby just needs to make a phone call. There is probably a man with, with some pretty good power he can call in the White House to just kind of help his situation out. I mean, <laughs> a WWE <laughs> Hall of Famer, if you will. I mean, come on. I, I think he's got some other issues that may be more pressing right now. <laughs> I mean, he is buddies with Dana, though, so he could probably help him a little bit. Um, so we were talking about it before, and this last year has kind of shown us the weird political side of the fighting game, but also how injuries are impacting these main events and co-main events. How do you see the po- – you, you see it a little bit more than we do, the political side of these things, like how Colby's dealing with it now. What What has changed over the last few years where we're seeing this all play out in real time more – and we're seeing it in public. It's not it's not behind closed doors anymore. It's out there in the open. Yeah, I, I don't think it's so much what's changed on the business side of fighting. I think it's more what stayed the same on that aspect, which is win your fights and your time will come. That's just period, end of story. That is the, you, can, you can try to do all the social media you want to do. You can talk all the shit you want to talk. You can do whatever you can to bring attention to yourself. But if you don't win your fights – you know, you don't win your fights. Nobody cares. That's why Connor was such a unicorn because he went out there. He was so charismatic. He talked the talk like nobody had ever talked it before him. But he won his fights too and won them spectacularly. I mean, look at the list of guys that he had wins all over building up to, to his journey. I mean, he had wins over Max. He had wins over Dustin. He took out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. He was probably the greatest fighter in the history of fighters <laughs> up until that point. Then he takes out Eddie. I mean, that guy, he went on a hell of a streak. And regardless how he may or may not match up against somebody like a Khabib, you know, that guy, he won his fight. So that's that's first and foremost. Secondly, I mean, the political side of it, I mean, there's just so much access to people right now. I mean, it's like some people can't take a dump without, you know, posting it on social media. <laughs> so everybody sees everything and Every time Dana White gets out of his car, there's TMZ in, in front of him. So I guess from that standpoint, people are just becoming more aware of it. But uh, I don't think anything's changed as far as the strategy and building up fighters and, and getting to that point. I mean, win your fights. Dan, we certainly wanted to ask you about another big-name fighter in your camp, Greg Hardy, the ex-NFL lineman who's going to be in the co-main event in this first ESPN Plus card from Brooklyn coming up. This is a good story. I think it's an, it's an opportunity for retribution. At the same time, there's a polarizing figure in Greg Hardy who's going to bring both sides of the table to the TV to watch this. Can you talk to us about the beginning of his interest in joining your camp and any concerns you had, any conversations you had to really try to make this work? All right. Well, um, I'm a football fan, so obviously I was pretty familiar with, with his story um, prior to him reaching out to us through his manager to come to the gym to train. And then one day I got a call from Malky Kawa, who, who works with Greg. And he said, Hey man, you know, I'd, I'd like to bring Greg over to the gym and, you know, see how he introduced him to some of the coaches and some of the guys and let, let him, let him try it out for a week like he has with people in the past. We have an open door policy at our gym. If people want to come and check our gym out, 
you know, just come stay for a week, see how you see how you mesh with us, how we mesh with you. And if it seems like a good fit, you know, stick around. If it doesn't see you later. Um, he said, I just don't know what your guys position is going to be. Is that something you guys would consider? And, you know, I, I didn't have to think about it long. I mean, yeah, the guy's got, you know, he had some baggage coming coming with him. But what the fuck is he supposed to do for the rest of his life? I don't I don't I don't I understand how people don't like what he was accused of and, and how it played out. Um, but OK, that's why we have a, a justice system in our in our country. And when you go through that system and you either don't get convicted or get convicted and do your time and serve whatever you need to serve, um, do your penance. I mean, what are you supposed to do for the rest of your life? I mean, I don't understand how people think that they have the right to say he shouldn't be allowed to be a fighter. What you're going to say what he's allowed to do for his life. Can he be a can he be a short order cook? Can he be a car salesman? Can he be a janitor? What? Who the f- are you to say what this guy can or can't do? I told his manager, so let him come and we'll judge him by what he does when he gets to the gym. And that guy came to our gym with his head low and it was yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, man to everybody in the gym, including the, you know, the teenage girl at the front desk. And he's been nothing but polite and respectful and a good training partner and a good teammate. And he's done what he's what he's told to do. And he's caused absolutely no issues. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm cheering, I'm cheering for the guy. It's interesting on, on how he'll be matched, how he'll be moved. UFC, when they feel there's a marketable option, they'll panic and rush it. It's, Greg's looked really good knocking out people on the lower level, on the Dana White contender series level. This is a co-main event on a pretty highly publicized UFC card. As someone close to him, do you have fears that, that he'll be thrown into the deep end too quickly when he's still a very young developing fighter in terms of fighter in terms of the mixed martial arts game he's he's a very raw guy uh no no doubt about that um with that said i mean he's a little bit of a freak of nature i mean you talk about the level of athlete that you know took it took to be where he was in the nfl and how that would translate into the into mixed martial arts and and that's that's the biggest part of the evolution of this sport in my mind is, is the level of athletes that are getting involved. It used to be where it was like, give me a really good wrestler. You know, we'll teach him the rest. You know, he's got that base. He knows how to cut weight. He's hard nosed. He can dictate where the fight goes. Now it's like, just give us the stud athlete. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll teach him the rest. So he certainly has that. He has the benefit of being in a division that's, you know, not the deepest division in mixed martial arts. There's a lot of heavyweights out there that aren't the most athletic guys in the world. You know, would I be a little, would I be a little, you know, more apprehensive of him if he were a welterweight getting thrust into a big, uh, uh, you know, a bigger fight early on against some of the competition that, you know, might even be outside the top 15. Well, hell yeah, I'd be concerned because the number 16 ranked welterweight in the UFC is a, a bad dude, you know, whereas the number 15 ranked guy in the UFC heavyweight division isn't necessarily as skilled. As far as it being a co-main event, those are just words. You know, it's just a position on a card. It's more once the cage door closes, it's, it's him and his opponent. Um, I don't think he's fighting a world beater in his first fight, and I and I don't think you're going to intimidate Greg Hardy by putting him on a big stage. I mean, you talk about a guy who's lived in a fishbowl, you know, for the last X years, and a guy that performed at the highest level on the biggest stages in the sports world. So, no, I'm not worried about that. I, I think Greg's going to do really well. You mentioned actually that the athlete that he is. When I talked to uh, your one of your coaches, Dean Thomas, about him, that's one of the things that he mentioned was that. His athletic ability, his movement in the ring is what's going to help him in this division because a lot of heavyweights don't move the way that he's able to move with his explosiveness and his speed. So that's probably going to be his biggest strength 
is that he's going to be able to avoid those big shots that come in if somebody does get into range on him because he can just explode away and then explode through the through his punches. Yeah, I don't think any heavyweights move like like <laughs> Greg Hardy moves right now. Now that's not to say he's you know he's going to go and win a UFC title or compete for a UFC title. He might have a shorter path at that division than he would at some of the stat, more stacked lower weights. But he's going to match up really well with a lot of guys in the division. And then when you get up to that. You know, that top five or six or seven guys in the UFC at that division, they're, they're great fighters and they're well-rounded fighters and they're very much more experienced fighters. And I don't, I don't see the UFC rushing him into a fight with a guy like that. I think they're going to, they're going to, you know, keep him on the path where he fights guys, you know, at or near his level, do enough to push him. So he has to keep continuing to get better, um, and keep challenging him. And, and then when the time's right, they'll put him in with a bigger name, Damn, but he's going to earn that. What'd you make of the whole, Headlines being that we have a, a female fighter, Rachel Ostevich, coming off an unfortunate domestic violence uh, situation herself on this card, and UFC putting Greg on the same card. I felt personally like I used the word tone deaf because I feel like you're creating the potential for negativity in a in a moment that should be positive. Greg Hardy really turning his life around, becoming a uh, someone to watch in the UFC. I just felt like it didn't make sense outside of the fact that this is our first ESPN card to even mesh the two together. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what her case has to do with his. You know, they're two totally separate people, two so totally separate incidences. So I get, I get the line of thinking that says one has nothing to do with the other. But you know, the world we live in, and the way people think, and the and and and, and how how you know emotional people are about certain issues. Why, why mix the two? You know, why I I, I found it I probably wasn't the best judgment of the world even to throw fodder out there for people to people to jump on why give somebody more of a reason to make greg's debut about what happened in the years past with greg by putting it on the same card as her so i mean it was it probably could have been avoided i mean i I guess in, in hindsight they may even think it could be avoided but at the end of the day i mean she's got her own set of circumstances she's got her own fight i got some girls looking to take her head off and greg's got his own set of circumstances and he's got his own fight against a guy looking to take his head off so come fight night, I don't think anybody's going to give a shit about any of that. Fair enough. So you started ATT basically from the ground up. How did you manage to put this all together and now what has become this gigantic hub of MMA fighters who are just about all ranked in the top 15 in each division of UFC and around the world? Um, it's just a, a long, slow process. I mean, it started, we, were, we were pretty much a grappling team. Back in the mid nineties, you know, with jujitsu, a bunch of jujitsu guys that we used to go and travel and go to tournaments and compete in jujitsu tournaments. You know, MMA back then wasn't, you know, anywhere near what it is today, obviously. And, and then it got to the point where a couple of the younger guys were like, Hey, I, w- I want to start fighting. So a couple of the younger guys on the team, you know, that were jujitsu guys, cause that's what we all were back then. They wanted to fight and a couple of those guys fought. And obviously Conan had fought in the past. Um, so a couple guys fought and. You know, after that, a couple more guys wanted to fight, and then the UFC started to get popular. And as their as the as the company grew, and the you know the attraction to that, and the public knowledge of that grew, our team kind of grew. And then you know there weren't a lot of big teams or hubs for for teams back then. So if you had one of the few teams where people you know where you had several professional fighters training at your gym, there weren't a lot of options for guys. So guys started, oh, well, you know, we'll go there. And then we just we just kind of grew as the sport grew. It's, it's incredible what you've built when you consider that, you know, there's these super teams in MMA and you, and you guys, you know, arguably right on the top of that list. Uh, we talked about how great of a moment 
Amanda winning winning the title, becoming a champ champ was for you in your gym. What are those other sort of shorthand moments that jump out to you that that are almost like dots on the timeline of making ATT to where it is today? Um, Mike Brown winning the WC belt. You know, Uriah Faber back then was, I mean, he was untouchable. How long ago? I mean, he was kind of like a cyborg, you know, for the 145 men's division. He hadn't lost a, a fight in, in forever, and he was the golden boy of WEC. And Mike Brown was kind of like the meat and taters, you know, everyday America guy. Um, him coming out and, and knocking out Uriah was a, was a big moment for us. That was, that was big, you know, winning our first UFC title when, when, when Robbie Lawler won that was a big tie, a big moment. Um, you know, we've had big moments in Japan. This, this last weekend, I mean, we, Amanda knocked out Cyborg. Kyoji Horiguchi beat the Bellator champ. Great Darren Caldwell to crown the first rising Bantam, Bantamweight champion. You know, we had three fighters win a million dollars in PFL titles the following Monday in New York. Kayla Harrison made another step on her journey and she's going to be a, a beast in the future. So, I mean, that, that, those are five legit world titles. You know, in one weekend. So, I mean, that's <laughs> top that, that, Dan. Top that in 2019, please. <laughs> Man, that was I was calling some of my buddies this past week. I said, "What the f- are we gonna do this weekend?" <laughs> you know, to top that. I, I said, "Screw it, let's just go to the horse track." <laughs> I mean, the roster of names is incredible that you have coming in and out. I mean, I, I look it down. I I see my boy Hen and Brow. I'm still Team Baron. I still live in a world where he's the pound for pound king. This guy's just another loaded name on the roster for you guys. I want to see this guy turn it back around. There's still time, right, Dan? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, he still looks good on the mats. And at one time he was, in my mind, the best pound for pound fighter in the world, you know, but, uh, you know, and, and whether he's, you know, whether he makes another run or whether he just enjoys his time here on the mats, helping other guys get better, you know, he's, he's a great addition to the gym, but we've got, we got a lot of lighter weight guys that a lot of people don't have notice of right now. We got some good up and comers at middleweight. We've got, we got a lot of young guys in the trenches coming on, which, which is great because, you know, the shelf life of, of fighters, in this business isn't isn't quite as long as it is in some other sports and and we put as much time in trying to figure out who's coming next as we do in you know who's there right now uh, he Dan, still yeah, believes in the in the Burrell era he <laughs> every day he wants to tell me it's still real to me damn it <laughs> and it was a scary dude back then and he's still very talented there's only been Who'd... two eras in MMA Brandon you know that there's the the Baron era and welcome to the Machida era the Machida era was one night but it was a great we had a great run there you know come on come on <laughs> Uh, who are some of those guys that you're saying could be next from your gym right now? Uh, Johnny Emblem is a 185er. You really, you really got to keep your eye on. He is really talented. We got a, a guy who's going to fight at 35 or 45 named Danny Sabatello. Really strong guy. Kayla Harrison, obviously she's, she's got a big name from being a two time mm-hmm. Olympic judo gold medalist, but you talk about a freak of nature and someone who's knows how to do it at the highest level and keeps their eye on the prize. She's, she, she's going to be a champion somewhere sooner rather than later. Um, the UFC 125 division is a little little iffy right now, but we got you know we got the guy who's ranked number one in Juicy A Formiga, and we got a guy a few spots down from him, Alexander Pantoja, who is just a beast. I mean that kid is a stud, and 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 there's and there's more lined up right after them. It's just it's it's not just you know enjoying the the fruits of the guys or girls that are at the top of the ladder right now. You gotta you got to develop those young ones, and and it's part of the process because those young ones are, you know, they're taking their beatings in the gym to the higher level ones, earning their spot and working their way up, and eventually they're going to be the ones handing those beatings out. Right, just like Colby. Just like Colby. I mean, you know, Colby came to us fresh out of college. You know, he he didn't know what MMA was, 
when he got down here. And, you know, a few years later, he's fighting big names. And a couple years after that, you know, he's fighting for titles. Yeah. Dan, I got to give a shout out to uh, ATT member and alumnus of the show, putting a lot of great episodes. The great King Mo. In my home. This is my home right here. This is America Top Team. Don't just don't disrespect me in my home. King, we would never disrespect you. He always said on this show, episode after episode, that if somebody's going to beat Habib Nurmagomedov, the great lightweight champion, it's Dustin Poirier. He's got everything to do that. Are you on that same team here? Dustin can get back and get healthy. This is the guy that'll ta- that'll take down the Eagle. I'm I'm a big fan of Khabib. That guy is is a beast, and I think most people just think you know what a great wrestler he is when they, when his name comes to mind. But I mean, it's to me, it's what he does after he takes guys down. I mean, some guys are good at risk control and keeping guys down. I mean, he's the first guy I've ever seen hurt people via risk control. <laughs> I mean, he's face planting you when you try to get up. But I can tell you one thing, if if Dustin Poirier is standing in front of Khabib in round four and round five, like Ally Akinta was, or like Connor was in the in the third round or the fourth round of that fight, I forget how long it went, uh, Khabib's in for some problems because Dustin Poirier's got a gas tank. Dustin Poirier is a technical striker. He's probably got the best striking on our team right now. And that guy hits hard and he's mean and every punch he throws, he's he's throwing it to hurt you. I gotta see that. I gotta see that fight. I gotta see that Dustin Nate fight. Man, that was one of the disappointments of 2018. Heartbroken to this day that we didn't see that fight. Yeah, that was a, there was a long story behind that and a lot of ups and downs and who knows what. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of the Diaz brothers. Those guys are, you know, you talk about people who beat to the, march to the beat of their own drummer. (laughs) But I mean, fights with those guys, who knows? You never know what's going to happen with them. It's never real till they're actually in the octagon. We thought, you know, Masvidal said, "Hey, I'm fighting, I'm fighting Nate," and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll believe it when you know Bruce Buffer's <laughs> yelling, yelling your name in there. We'll, we'll see what happens." Those guys, you talk about some people who give a damn button is busted. I mean, they don't give a damn. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Oh, it's great. It's classic moments. All right, Dan, I, the pro wrestling fan in me, the journalist in me, everything. We gotta talk some wrestling with you, and we gotta talk about this damn title belt room. I called it a belt. It's a belt. It's not a title. I assume it's in your house. I told Brandon we screwed up here. We should have done this interview over beers inside the legendary title belt room. Tell the people that don't know, or don't tell them the location. Don't please, Habib. <laughs> don't send me no location. What kind of collection do you have here? What is going on here? All right, well, first of all, it's ten minutes from here, so anytime you're you're interested, come on over and. And check it out. I'm just, I'm a wrestling dork. I've liked pro wrestling since I was a little kid and turned on a TV on Saturday at noon and saw Ox Baker tying the assassin yes. up in a, in a ring rope. The and hard punch. Shoved something down his throat. I'm um, Gordon Soley going crazy. I, I love professional wrestling. I always have and I probably always will. And I'm the first to admit I'm a, I'm a dork. It's actually professional wrestling that got me interested in MMA because I used to trade tapes with a guy in Japan, VHS tapes. He'd tape New Japan, All Japan Pro Wrestling. I'd tape some of the shows I got here in the U.S. and we'd send them to each other. And, you know, one day he sends me a pancreas tape. I'm like, what the f*** is this? You know, and it was the worked, you know, the worked shoot promotion over there at the time. So that's kind of what got me interested in MMA to begin with. But, uh, just over time, I, I, you know, I would see every now and then and some old wrestler was, was selling one of his old ring used belts that he ended up with either because they changed the belt or he quit the promotion or, you know, didn't get paid and stole it. You know, there's all kinds of crazy stories that go with these belts. And, you know, when I saw the first one was available, I'm like, oh, my God, I remember watching that when I was a kid. And all of a sudden you have these flashbacks to all the memories of this guy with it or this guy hitting that guy over the head with it or, 
you know, walking by me at the Miami Beach Convention Center wearing that belt and flicking me off when I when I booed him. And uh, I was like, man, I'm going to buy that. And then I bought one and then I started looking for some others. And there's actually some guys, you know, I think I'm a dork. These guys are even bigger dorks than I am. What their hobbies are is they like finding the belts. They like going out and hunting these old ring used belts and where they are. And and then when they find them, they try to buy them and sell them. So I've got like three guys that, you know, found me as a willing buyer and they would call me every now and then. And I found this belt. I found that belt. And I just started collecting them over a period of about 20 years and 20 years later and quite a bit of cash out of my pocket. Yes. <laughs> you know, I've had some people look at me like a little tilt headed saying, what the f- were you thinking? <laughs> I've got about a hundred of them. Whoa. It's still real to me, damn It's it. still real to me. That's why I'm fired up 100. All right. Get, what, what is the one or two that, that are, that are your prized possessions, your pride and joy? Um, my favorite belt is probably the old Georgia championship wrestling belt that, that was on TBS for all those years from 605 to 805 PM oh, every yeah. night. Um, probably the most historical belt I don't have anymore. It was the original WWWF belt that Buddy Rogers came in to lose to Bruno Sammartino. Yes. Started the, the World Wrestling, Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Uh, Buddy Rogers ended up taking that belt back with him to his Ohio promotion. They gave Bruno a new belt, which was the face of the, you know, the belt that went with the promotion. But that original one I had, but uh, when the WWE decided they want to start a Hall of Fame, they found out I had it. They really wanted it. The guy that sold it to me made their belts. He's like, hey, man, they're getting pissed off at me. Would you mind giving it back to him? So I kind of gave it to them. Um, but I but I got the belt that they that they replaced it with, you know, Bruno's original belt that he went around with after he lost it to Pedro Morales. Pedro Morales was a gambler, and it ended up in a pawn shop. Wow. Or a wrestler. But I've got, I've got that belt. I've got the... I've I've got so many territorial belts. I've got the first belt Ric Flair ever held. I've got the first belt the Road Warriors ever held. I've got. I'm a big AWA nerd from my childhood. You got anything from from Vern's territory? Yeah, you know what? The AWA belts were really hard to come by. It's it's crazy, and I'm a big AWA fan as well. I've got I've got the junior title that Buck Zumhoff held. (laughs) Rock and and roll. Yep. And I've got I've got a female belt, their, their women's title that they had. Those are the only two AWA belts I ever heard of coming about. They were they were really difficult to get. That and the Mid South collection, Bill Watts, some guy bought that entire collection like 20 years ago. Outside of those two promotions, I've got belts from just about anything you're going to think of. Does this extend to mixed martial arts as well? No, I don't. I don't collect mixed martial arts belts. We've got a, we got a trophy display in a, in our gym where you know they were earned. And we we put them up on display, but I but I don't collect those. All right. Well, in 2017, wrestling's cooler. <laughs> you show up on Impact Wrestling, and really, I, I mean, if anyone, Dave Meltzer gave you guys a praise, calling it one of the best angles of the year. This whole American Top Team invasion that I watched and was enthralled by. Of course, Bobby Lashley, the center of it. You coming in saying, "Bobby, we need you back in MMA. We need you over here." Him being torn, and then we got Gleason Tebow jumping the 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 barrier. We got some run-ins. This had to have been the the ultimate, the ultimate dream for you after you just laid out how deep your fandom goes. I mean, how does this even happen? That's weird. You know, Bobby called me one day. He's like, hey, I was talking to Jeff Jarrett who had recently come back to, to Impact, and he was he was doing the book. And he's like, Jeff's interested in doing a, an angle with the guys and maybe an MMA angle. Would you be interested? I'm like, oh, God, how much do I have to pay them to let me come <laughs> and pretend I'm a professional wrestler for a couple of months? So, uh, it was awesome. It was, it was so much fun. We went up there and met with them and man, they were just so easy going. They're like, yeah, just come in and say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do. And we just kind of went up there and flew from the cuff and 
it was it was hilarious. I mean, it was great stuff, and you got involved. You took, I think, a big boot from Moose. You went through the Lashley spearing you through the table, the same Lashley who's back in WWE doing big things. Uh, st- st- was that a stiff spear? Can we comment on that? It's, can we go? Okay, can we break through the kayfabe lines here? You're, you recovering from that still? Yeah, I'm all right. They, they they prepped the table for me pretty good, so it wasn't that hard of a bump, but uh, it, it came off pretty good on TV. It was fun. Bobby had more fun with it than I did. I think I was I was hoping to be killed off with a Jeff Jarrett guitar shot, but he ended up leaving the company before the angle had run its course. So. I wanted some juice. You would have bladed. I know you would have. God, in a second, in a second, for I'd have let I'd have let Abdullah the Butcher cut me open if he was there. Oh, that's got to be awesome. That's got to be awesome uh, uh, to to have that moment and to have it, you know, be received so well. I mean, you know, are we are we in talks? Are you going to be back? You're going to be back somewhere? You, you still is it still real to you? Damn it! Can we can we see you resurface again in the pro wrestling world? Wrestling will always be real to me, damn it! I, I I love it. I had a I had a blast. You know, obviously our focus is on mixed martial arts, and Bobby's in WWE, and that's that's a whole other level of of pro wrestling. But, um, and if he ever called me and said they had something for some of our guys or for us to get involved, who wouldn't say yes to that? You guys still do some house shows at ATT, right? Yeah. We, every, every Halloween we have all the kids that are part of our after school program, our kids programs, and they come in and we put up a ring and we put on matches and we bring some independent guys in. Bobby comes down every now and then and does it. And, uh, the kids love it. They all get dressed up in <laughs> their Halloween costumes and we give them candy and shit. <laughs> but it's it's really just an excuse for us to do it. <laughs> it's really for you. It's not for the Yeah, kids. screw them. <laughs> we see King Mo get involved. Great stuff. Hey, great time to be a wrestling fan these days. Uh, I mean, AEW is about to launch. I don't want to get super in the nerd nerd wire here, but this is a fun time, Dan. You got to agree. Absolutely. Always a good time to be a wrestler. Yeah, best of luck to Cody and those dudes. Wiseman, not a part of this conversation, does not want to talk pro wrestling, wants out. End oh, it. End. Cut, it cut it. Cut it. Cut Doors the cord. Up there. <laughs> Anyways, Dan, I mean, we could go hours with you. We're thankful for your time. You're doing great things down there at ATT. Wiseman, next time I'm down there, we're going to, well, let's go to the gym. I want to roll. Let's do this. All right. Oh, yeah. I think you need to get rolled by Arlovsky first, though. Oh, man, he's got, I hope his nose is okay. His nose was in 18 <laughs> directions there at UFC 232. Let's get this he, guy. He doesn't care. I can assure you of that. <laughs> Come on down next time you're there. We'll do that. Then we'll lose what's his face and we'll go look at the belt. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yes. I love it. Love it. Dan Lambert, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you want to, you want to pump anything? Can we follow you anywhere? Can we, can they go on a website? What do we got here? Nice. All our fighters are, uh, just doing their thing in the cage. The other websites, social media, I don't care. I just want to see guys and girls win fights. I love it. There it is. Wise man, I've said it before. I'll say it once more. We failed not doing that interview over beers, trying on title belts. All right. We failed. Well, I mean, I'm glad that I'm back in the room now that I was pushed out of the way for the rest of that wrestling discussion at oh, the end of I this. mean, you know, that it, it's, you, you've made a life choice that you're going to have to stick by. That, that's a genre that, that doesn't fancy your pass, your passion. You're, you're not in on it. You're out. I, I appreciate that he also forgot my name because he was just so excited to talk wrestling with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Danny Lambs can bring it. I mean, he just brings it, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm right there with him on on all of his takes. Yeah, I mean, the Colby stuff was pretty interesting. I think he makes a really good argument for what everything that's going on there. The Greg Hardy stuff was interesting because I mean, for all of the talk that we do about this in the media and how hey, this is like this doesn't look great. The optics of this are bad. 
he's got a point where it's like, what do you want him to do? Do you want him to just sit at home and never work again? Because you can't really live that way. You have to try and do new things and explore new options. And credit to them for giving him a shot. Like, if it works out for them, great. If it doesn't, he'll find something else to do with his life. Well, shout out to Dan Lambert at ATT there for what he's built for them being one of the premier teams. Um, are you gonna, are you gonna leverage this relationship and get in there and see what you can become on the map? I mean, come on. I know you're taking kickboxing right now. Can we get you in a gi? I've been told that I need to take a jujitsu class this year and I think I'm gonna have to wait six months. Who told you that, first of all? A a buddy, a buddy who listens to the podcast. I don't know if it was a doctor. I didn't know where you're going with this. Oh no, not a doctor. God no. But I told him I need six months to get my cardio ready before I die on a mat in a gi. So that's going to be a minute before I try to leverage this relationship at all. And by the way, thank you for blowing it on me because now I can't like tell him, hey, can I get in there? Because now he's going to hear it on the podcast. <laughs> Is Mackenzie Dern there? No, not that I'm aware She's of. She's not ATT, right? No. All right. All right. There goes that. Uh, yeah, great chatting with the man. Um Nunez doing big things. I mean, uh, Greg Hardy had interesting side, you know, takes on Greg Hardy. It's, it's, he's got a lot of fun stuff going on and, and, you know, the Barrow era is still real to me as we mentioned there. But, uh, we're going to end up turning this into a three hour show if we don't roll on. Big UFC Brooklyn preview coming your way, folks. But hey, we're going to slide one more interview at you right now. The great, the funny Forrest Griffin. Enjoy. <sighs> I'm talking, of course, to UFC Hall of Famer, the Forrest Griffin. But Forrest, you're a man of, like, many hats these days in retirement. Not really a retirement at all. You're the vice president of athlete development for the USC. That sounds pretty fancy for, for a fun and games guy like you. Yeah. How, how are you loving this, brother? Well, that's that's why that's why I made that title of myself. It's just sound fancy. And then... People don't really actually know what you do. So, I mean, it's just kind of a cover-all. You can do everything and nothing at the same time. I tell you, I tell you what I have been doing is trying to get involved with a lot of commission stuff and just things that affect the fighter fighters on that end, right? So, <clears throat> if you think about athlete development, UFC athletes, I'm pretty qualified to know what they go through. And, you know, I think my job is just to make sure everything that touches the fighters, be it from partnership with Cleveland Clinic, partnership with Trifecta Nutrition, um, you know, the commission, regulation, weight cut, weight management for competition, the whole thing, just to make that, uh, even, even the media that they have to do fight week, which I know is a pain, you know, here you are getting ready for six, seven, eight weeks and you do everything one way. And then the last week they're like, okay, we need you to be up at this time. You know, uh, you got to go here. You got to go there. Um, you're going to be in a restaurant, in a hotel with different food than you've been eating your whole camp. Right. Uh, but you still got to make weight and fight. So it's tough. I want to ask you before we get into the nitty gritty on some of that. I mean, you're you're an old school guy. We're just celebrating UFC 25, of course, 25th anniversary of the promotion, and they're yeah. showing the greatest fights of all time. And of course, your Ultimate Fighter uh, brawl with with uh, Bonner comes up right away. And it's like you come from a time where this sport, this promotion, was just trying to get noticed. There wasn't meal preps. There wasn't all of these things. Is do you when you're oh, up yeah. close with this new product with the PI? Are you like, man, if I only had this in 2005, who could I have been? And you're a Hall of Famer. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, you know, I t- I know what I could have done. I could have gotten some more time out of my career. You know, I could have come back a little better, rehabbed a little better, 
stayed a little closer to my weight. I could have been a little bit more professional. I mean, and honestly, I thought I was on the cutting edge at the time. I really just didn't know any better, you know? I mean, not not to knock the guys I worked with. I worked with great guys, but they were meatheads like me, you know? They grew right. up in the gym. They didn't go to college for this sort of thing. So all these years later, this incredible performance institute, all this technology, all this these meal preps, all this cool stuff, and yet I see a really fun video on social media the other day of Forrest Griffin working out with a medicine ball, and he takes the medicine ball to the oh, medicine yeah. balls, bro. There should be... Yeah, yeah. Can that happen these days at the performance institute? I thought there's too much science getting in the way of stuff like that. You're all right. Everything. You no, know, I tell you what, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I did not have a strength coach because I'm retired, so I don't want the use of a strength coach. Had I had a professional there monitoring my workout, I assume that that would not have happened. Yeah. So don't worry, I am not a strength coach. I'm simply a liaison to the strength coach. Thank goodness. But obviously, all fun and games aside, you guys are doing great stuff at the Performance Institute. You're a big part of that behind the scenes. I love this new news we have with UFC naming Trifecta Nutrition as the first ever official meal delivery partner. And what this Trifecta fight prep is, tell me if I'm wrong. It's like, it's like putting, you know, culinary chefs in the corner of the fighters so that we're not worried as much about yeah, well, eating the wrong thing or, or well, missing weight and all these. This is, this is like top shelf service here. Yeah. So absolutely, the UFC went out with Trifecta. They found a guy, uh, guy Chef Mario. He worked for Exos. He'd done a lot of athlete performance stuff. Uh, high end, like an actual chef, chef. You know, not you know, not not a guy that knows how to cook, but an actual chef who's also a nutritionist. And they work with our sports dietitian team, Clint Wattenberg uh, and Charles. And and they set up, you know, they, they set up your your food so you really don't have to think about it that last week. You eat. You know, this meal at this time, uh, and then, you know, this is what you do. They take into account your workouts, your resting metabolism, all that sort of things. You know, we, we have a lot of technology that kind of sets your diet for you, right? So you know exactly how many calories you're burning a day, uh, you know, the, the science of it. And, and that's kind of what I get to do is I got to take the people like the Clint and, and the Charles that understand the science of it, understand stuff like, you know, substrate preferences in, in people and stuff like that and, and kind of meld that with the people that understand kicking and punching and the people that actually have to make the weight and go in and fight. That's really cool stuff. How important is this when we see in the last couple of years that there was this stretch in 2017 where it was like, you know, a, a major card is coming yeah. up and somebody misses weight at the last minute. Oh, and, and business-wise, you know, obviously that that's that's crucial to the UFC when these type of fights no, fall apart. Crushed, but yeah. but health wise for the fighters, change cards for people at the end, right? It's insane. I know, I'm sure it pissed you off. You've got this great fight coming up, and then two weeks out or a week out or the day before, they're like, "No, that fight's not going to happen. It's off." Yeah, you don't. So a couple facts there. One, I think the uh, you know the average missed weight is two percent. Um, it's now three percent which pretty small, uh, pretty incremental change uh, rise. The reason why it seems like there's so many is because there's 40 events a year. Right. And now if you have more people, you know, 40 events of 12 fights, that's a lot of fights. That's a lot of time for people to mess up. And, you know, this is a very exact science. And if you don't manage your weight correctly throughout the camp, you make it really hard on yourself that last week. And then it, you know, then it becomes a, a game of, of literally grams. So, um, I mean, our preference, obviously, is for people not to cut it that close. But, you know, it's a weight class sport. You want to be as big 
as you can. And you want to fuel yourself as much as you can throughout that fight camp. So, you know, people, people cut it too close. Do you think years from now we'll look back on this era as it was crazy how much people were cutting weight that there was almost like epidemic level and we're lucky no one's gotten hurt or is it is the answer the other direction that eventually the science will catch up and things like this cool trifecta fight prep where this will no longer be a worry eventually so here's what i'll tell you and and i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of you know throw some people under the bus here it's not everybody doing it i mean some people cut a lot of weight and their physiology allows them to, you know, we've had those people in, they're just people. Um, and you know, we don't have specific names, but they're just people that can cut a lot of weight. And then, you know, a couple of years go by and then they can't do it anymore. And that's when they start missing in some cases, in a lot of cases though, most of the UFC athletes are talking about a roster of 580. Most of them are doing the right things are doing it the right way. Um, you know, there's a few people that, that want to kind of be, you know, kind of want to take chances and, and, uh, you know, it's an easy system. Even if you talk about the weigh-ins, there's, there's always going to be people that, that mess up and want to, especially in a sport like this, want to go extreme. You know, it did used to be like an extreme fighting thing. So there's still people that have that mindset, but I don't, I don't think we'll look back and say, oh, that was was such a horrible time. I think people will figure it out more and things will get better. And per athlete, you figure out your body. And hopefully you only ever miss weight the once, if once, and you figure out, okay, this is what I can do comfortably. This is what I can't. I need to come in a little lighter fight week. <clears throat> true, true. Now you're coming up on nine years, or I'm sorry, seven years out of the game. I know you retired because of injuries. No way. But your, your contemporaries wow. age-wise, a lot of these guys still lingering. I mean, we saw BJ Penn in the cage the other day at age 40. Do you still get yeah. that itch? Or are you satisfied enough in, in in the cool role you have with the UFC um, where it's past you? Yeah, so I, I've been so fortunate. And that's one of the reasons why I do love my job. Is that, you know, nobody, like, retirement is the hardest thing I ever did. And I really wouldn't have done it. I would have been one of those guys that hung around too long. Uh, maybe fortunately. <laughs> no, unfortunately, I blew my knee out. And then I blew it out again eight months later. I'm um, trying to rehab it, actually. And, you know, I was just done, you know, you go, you don't, you really just can't fight with one leg. So, um, I tell you what I really miss is I miss that daily grind. I miss the routine. I miss, I mean, I even miss like that regimented meal system I used to get into in fight camp. You know, Uh, I miss that for, uh, you know, I miss that a bit, you know, um, the training, trying to get 1% better every day. You wake up and you're like, Oh, what am I going to do today? Oh no, I'm going to get 1% better at fighting. That's what I'm going to do. It's a great lifestyle. Um, you know, if, if you if you love training, it's a great lifestyle. You get to work out professionally. It's great. So we won't see you in a fourth fight with Tito or anything. Like we're not gonna we're not worried about anything like that, right? No, no, no. I don't. Uh, I'll I leave that to the. Uh, you know, I, I'll leave that to the next generation as it should be. And if anything, I just want to help the next generation in this system to get their nutrition dialed in, fuel themselves properly. That's, that's cool stuff. Uh, we saw you grappling with Shaquille O'Neal for, for his reality show at the UFC PI. Yeah. Man, that was some cool and fun stuff. Uh, you gotta tell us what kind of game, and we know Shaq has loved and flirted with the idea of fighting in the UFC forever. Yeah. What kind of game does that beast have on the ground when you consider his well, power and I'm, speed? I'm, I'm tell you what, I'm, I'm gonna tell you what, um, I think, I'm not calling Shaq out here, but he could use some trifecta nutrition. I want to get him set up with some meals coming to his house. Um, I've had him for like a year and, you know, I actually weighed less than I did when I fought. 
um, some of its muscle I just didn't need. But that man is huge. He is so heavy. Um, I'm not saying he should go on a diet, but he should go on a diet. He's not making 265 anytime soon. Let's be honest, Forrest. He's not. I don't know if he's going to make 365, man. <laughs> Did were there any moments because of his size and he, obviously he's an incredible athlete, oh, yeah. even retired, yeah. where you're like, this well, guy's got a little I bit of promise. I didn't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when he when he kind of dove on top of me, I just didn't expect it. And then he was so long, my guard actually was ineffective because his torso was too long. And he just reached up and grabbed my head. And my first thought was, I am going to throw up on Shaquille O'Neal. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to vomit on Shaquille O'Neal on TV. This is going to be, uh, it's going to be a great moment here. Uh, this will, this will be, this will be epic. But unfortunately, I did not. You held your own for, uh, you know, you're in great shape, even though you retired. Your hands on there at the PI. We love to see that. And like I mentioned, 25th anniversary, we love seeing all the flashbacks to Griffin Bonner won the classic. We could talk for days about it. I'm sure in the past year you've talked for days about it. I'm sure every time you're in the grocery store, somebody still stops you and brings that up. Does it ever get tiring or are you, are you like you're here forever telling that story? Man, I'm going to, I'm going to make a funny analogy here. You know, Luke, Luke, uh, what's his name? Luke, Luke Skywalker or Mark, uh, what's, what's Mark Hamill. his name? Is? He, he can't hate Star Wars. Yeah. He, he can't hate Star Wars, right? He made him without that fight. You know, I'm not here. Um, I'm not here working for the UFC, getting to you know help fighters still be in the game, getting to be involved, getting to you know set the tone for the next generation of fighters. I, without that fight, I don't get to do any of the things I love, and I probably am. You know, not that it would be bad, but I'm probably still a cop in Georgia without that fight. You know, that's a fair point. So I will never have anything to love for that. I can't imagine in that fight, obviously, at that time that you would know of the importance of, you know, I mean, there's people that take the narrative as far as that yeah. fight saved the promotion. But what were you aware of in that moment outside of just, hey, man, I want to become a fighter and get a job here? So the one thing, yeah, the one thing I, I really remember is they started kind of the, the rhythmic stomping on the bleachers. And uh, I do remember, like, you know, feeling that, that stomping, almost feeling it through the ground and being like, all right, this is awesome. This is awesome. Right? Gives you a little more, a little more energy reservoir to dig into. Love it. Now, what happened in that rematch, UFC 62? Besides you getting a second straight victory over Bonner, unanimous decision, but it didn't become the classic of the first one. And you see that a lot no. in great fights. It's hard to yeah, reproduce yeah. a second time. No what way, happened right? that night? Yeah. Well, you know what? I uh, he actually broke his hand. Um, you can see I have him backed against the fence, and he broke his right hand um, on my forehead. I think in the first round, and after that, he was just you know a little a little more timid. Didn't didn't have a ton, and then um, you know I was just able to catch him with the jab, and it was just working so well. You know, I kind of kept thinking that the ball would come, but then it just never did. Yeah. You know, have you guys I'll, been I'll able to stay? I'll take, I'll take a win anywhere. I mean, absolutely. Have you and Bonner been able to almost have a magic and bird type friendship after this, where you share such an incredible and important moment that it's like brothers for life? Yeah, yeah, we really have. You know, he still lives in Las Vegas. We're, we're still in touch. Um, he, he, you know, he, he's a good guy. He, uh, it's funny. He, again, I found this. You talk about this lifestyle, the training, the, the everything that goes into it. Most of the people I fought are actually very similar to, you know, I was talking to Quentin Jackson once 
And I was like, you know, this guy's a lot like me. He thinks all like I do. And you, you wouldn't expect that. But, you know, people that got into the sport, especially people that got into the sport before it was huge and before you thought you could become a star and make money, and people just thought, you know, fighting's kind of fun. I'll make a little money doing this before I have to go get a real job. Um, they're, they're very similar in mindsets, despite their backgrounds. Definitely more more commonalities than differences. Absolutely. Now, we've seen you... Outside of the cage, you've done some acting. I, I read uh, your second book, thought it was fantastic. You're an author. What else is in the future of Forrest Griffin, the celebrity, the the crossover name, the guy people know? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I work too much to, to mess with that, you know? Um, so I think the thing you just been, it's funny, we get bought by, uh, you know, the world's largest talent agency, and you figure out, oh, they're throwing some stuff, but now they you know, like I said, I'm over in China, I'm building another performance institute over here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I work too much to bother with it. <laughs> this is not retirement, if you will. This is phase two. This is chapter two. Oh, my gosh. Life. I tell you what, I, I love it when people say retirement. I never worked so hard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy, yeah. Uh, before I let you go, can you regal any stories to me of your days as a Georgia police officer before this fight life became a reality? What kind of cop were you? Would you, could you could you put a rear naked oh, on man. a guy? You, you know, got anything? So, yeah, well, I did that. I, I was a bouncer for a while too, and I used to just you know use soft hand restraint techniques, and you, you could you know not hurt people and choke them out. And I I remember being a bouncer. He was a lunatic. He was drunk. He was crazy. And uh, I choked him out, which you would never do now. I think now that you know, choke a drunk person out, they might not come back. Anyway, though, he, he was fine. And uh, his his girlfriend was screaming at me, oh, my God, you didn't have to kill him. And I was like, you know, I panicked for a second. I was like, wait, no, he's fine. Lady, look at his chest. Are you, you're drunk, too. Come down. He's fine. <laughs> Help me get him out of here. <laughs> do you guys drive? You know, I was like, what, what are you talking about, lady? So... <laughs> Um, people don't realize that, yeah, it was, it was a weird, it was a weird time knowing how to fight back in the early 2000s. Absolutely. And, you, and speaking of early 2000s, you own a very early career victory over one Chael P. Sonnen back in 2003, back before, I mean, look, those are the dark ages of MMA. Is that something when you see the fellow legend today that you're able to poke at him and be like, hey, Chael, back in Denver, you know, September 2003, IFC, no, I took you downtown. No, you know, so he, yeah, so here's the thing with Chael, Tito, all those guys that I kind of consider my, my you know, rivals, uh, they're still going. And in the end, you know, that, that means a lot. They're still getting victories and, and good fights and, and looking pretty good. You know, again, I, I quit in 2013. It's 2019 now. So, again, yeah. So Hey, you yeah. thought Dan Severn in your it's, pro uh, debut. He's, he's almost still going at this point. Oh, man, I tell you what, I, I talked to Dan not too long ago. Um, he's still doing, like, defensive tactics, training, working with police officers, um, running kids' wrestling programs. He, he is really, I don't know if it's his nutrition. I don't know what it is. I think he's not a big drinker, doesn't do drugs, alcohol. He's been married for, you know, to the same woman for, like, 30 years. Whatever he's doing. He, he looks great. He's in great shape and he's still sharp as a tack. It's actually pretty, uh, it, it's, 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 uh, you know, I think he's 61. Yeah. And, uh, it's, you know, he's still rolling around with young kids. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. He's got 127 fights. I mean, another of your contemporaries that you fought, Jeremy Horn's got a hundred, a hundred thousand fights. I mean, this is a I different know. era, a different time for us. You guys are the legends, the old school, the guard. Yeah. 
But yeah, I was I wish I'm not truly old school. I'm kind of like that, almost old school. You know, the the German horns, the Antevans are right right after that. So kind of the first generation that thought about you know the stuff we're talking about, like nutrition and performance. And before it was really just being tough. And then, it, and then it became, you know, what, how do we work on my weaknesses, not just technically, but physiologically? How do, you know, how do you prepare the best for the fights? And I think that's at the performance to what we get, what we get to do. And then we get, you know, partnerships with trifecta and top level chefs. You get, you get fighters that like, you know, don't have to think about their workouts. And then they, they, one of the things you try to do is educate them, right? So I right, this so many carbohydrates, this so much fat, this so much protein you need before, after workouts. So it's really, I think I see myself as a bit of a transition from the old school to the new school. I love that. I love that. And you see in how far this sport has come in 25 years. I mean, we can talk about the first five years of UFC and, you know, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun, but it's barbaric. It's barbarically fun. And then you transform to now you're in China opening up a new, you know, developing the, the groundwork for a new performance institute. That's insane to think how far the sport has come in such a short period of time. It's funny you say that. Um, that's that's basically what I've done right in life. Is I don't think that. I thought I found the sport in 1999. I was a huge basketball football fan. I thought, man, this is this is where it's at, man. This is the best sport. This is the truest form of competition there is. Why doesn't everybody love this? You know. And then I've really just been going around telling people that fighting's awesome, and here's why. For you know, the last 20 years. <laughs> Pretty good, pretty good gig of what I've landed myself into. Not bad, not bad. And you got a Hall of Fame career behind I'm, you. I'm surprised it's still not bigger. Well, it's, there's still time. I mean, it's like we mentioned. I mean, it's really only been around for for uh, such a brief amount of time when you really think about it in the larger picture. But uh, I mean, when Dana used to say well, things like yeah, it's going to be a big four sport. Total, but yeah, there's only been money in the sport for about the last 12 years. You know, that's true. So it's been around for 25, but it was, it was pretty underground in the beginning. It's amazing to think where it's going to go next. But, hey, you got a nice setup now to be a part of that, to, to change the future for the fighters. So it's really cool to see and always great to talk with you, Hall of Famer Forrest Griffin. Hey, you're an ambassador for the sport in the UFC, but you've always been an entertainer, man. You're always a guy who gets it. Funny on the mic. You know, I'm, you're going to end up acting somewhere again. I know it. There'll be a buddy sitcom one of these days. All right, it'll be like it'll be like Forrest and Stefan. You know, sharing the two divorced dads sharing an apartment. <laughs> I can see the sitcom. Boys uh, and buddies too. Geez. It's coming. Yeah, great stuff. That, Forrest... that does not sound amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we can put it's it on fight pass. To look forward to. I could be in trouble with that. That's there. There's truth. Uh, looking forward to more from you, man, and all the good stuff you're doing there, and this new partnership with Trifecta Fight Prep. Thanks for all the time. Best of luck in China. You're, you're making things happen. Great talking to you. All right, man. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And hey, check out the, uh, the trifecta, uh, uh, promo with, uh, Rose Namajunas. I think it's pretty cool, actually. It's pretty, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely kind of the impact that, that we're trying to make with this thing. So anyway, thanks again for your time, Brian. Thank you, sir. the uh, corporate forest era here i mean i know he just bounced the medicine ball off his nuts and and, and kind of went viral there on social media but uh but uh it's just weird you know it's weird to see this guy you know uh just such a fun and games guy now doing a really important job i mean he's called me from china i'm excited about it because it's just like at least he's not still trying to hold on to the the mystique of what he was at ufc uh, at the tough finale the first one ever 
and trying to keep fighting because, good God, could he not fight right now in this era? Uh, you make a great point, and I thought he had a very sober take on like he's almost happy injuries forced him out because he he knows he probably would have still been just doing it for the the addiction, the money, whatever. Yeah, so uh, that's great. I'm glad that he. I mean, he's a success story, man. He was just another average dude, took a chance on this Ultimate Fighter, got the got the push, got millions of dollars taking title fights, and now he's not still hanging on. He's working for UFC, he's doing this big position that he's in now, and he's able to still make money off of it. So he has he has done it right. He has done it he right. Has. And I think we got to give UFC some credit. And we, we rightfully on the show as journalists, as hot take machines at times, look, we'll call the UFC and Dana out constantly for decisions that don't seem to make a lot of sense, that are hypocritical or whatever. But UFC opening up this Performance Institute, and obviously the one they're doing in China could lead to a lot of big stuff, this is the right choice in terms of taking care of athletes. So training them now on nutrition, training them on, you know, giving them an option to rehab their injuries. Like this seems like, I mean, it's a very, very impressive operation they have there in Vegas. And it seems like this adds more credibility to the sport than most of the other decisions I've seen in the evolution of, of the promotion over the years. And it's the thing that boxing has always wanted, I think, right? Where you want a centralized location where you can have your fighters train and get maximum potential out of them and credit to UFC for beating them to it. Absolutely. I think they use the WWE model that, you know, with NXT in Orlando there. And I, th- and I think rightfully so. And, um, final thing on Forrest, uh, did you watch that video that I talked to him about, uh, on that Shaq reality show where the two rolled around on, in, uh, jujitsu each other? Did you watch that? I did not. Check that out. Check that. Th- it's, you know, that Shaq, he's always got these reality shows where he's doing different things. He like box Shane Mosley. Well, a couple months ago, he went in the cage and uh, and and grappled with Forrest. It was entertaining. It's worth a watch, all right? Okay. I'll check it out when yeah, we're done here. All right. Hey, Saturday, UFC Brooklyn, ESPN Plus, the debut. We know they take a very good main event that was supposed to be the following week at the now defunct UFC card in El- in Anaheim. And they put at the top of this card, uh, this, this is a pretty good card on paper. And this will be day one of the ESPN era. And it's a flyweight super fight. Henry Cejudo defending the 125 against current Bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw. Wise, on paper, love, love this fight. Love the style contrast. Love two guys in their relative primes here. Love it. But there's this weird cloud hanging over this fight. It's the fact that this might be the, the, the last fight in UFC flyweight history for men, maybe. And if one guy wins, Dillashaw, it probably is, but if Cejudo wins, it might not be, and Dana's not talking, and Joseph Benavides just got signed to a four-fight deal and has a flyweight fight on Saturday. What do you think is going to happen with this division, and how much does this fight influence that in your mind? Uh, that's about my thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I mean, Dana keeps just saying we're going to have to see what happens, and it's just like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, Let's make a I decision, mean, dude. Yeah. If Sohudo wins this fight, what the hell do you do with him? What first of all, what do you do with the division? Because that means that he is still the champion at 125, and your bantamweight champion is now coming off a loss. So I'll tell so, you what you do if, if Sohudo wins. Here you go. And you make a good yeah. question, like like what are you doing here? And 
the fact that so many flyweights have been cut lately, the fact that Demetrius Johnson, the, the first ever and only champion they had, who just left and got traded to one championship, his exit leads you to believe it's all shutting down. Here's what I think. They just signed Joseph Benavides to a four-fight deal. He'll have a flyaway fight on Saturday on the main card against Dustin Ortiz. Joseph Benavides was the last man to beat Henry Cejudo in a fun-ass war, one of the best fights of the year two years ago. If Cejudo wins, you give Benavides that title shot, you do the rematch, and then we have this same conversation six months later. Is this the last fight in, in uh, flyweight history? Uh, that's the only explanation I have. Because if Dillashaw wins and becomes the seventh uh, two-division champion in UFC history, the fourth champ champ, as this is now trending quick from Connor to Cormier to Mandy, now potentially Dillashaw here, then how could you possibly go forward with the division-wise? You could not. Yeah, I mean... And also, it's weird because of all those people you just mentioned, none of them went down 10 pounds to do it. They all went up in weight. Like, it's weird. I, I just don't know. Like, the hope I think from Dana is what Dillashaw has been saying throughout the build, build up to this is that I've been sent to kill this division. I have been sent to end the Cejudo reign. I'm going to take the flyweight title and then the flyweight division goes away and we retire that belt on my shoulder. And, I don't see how that's wrong because they don't seem very interested in continuing to promote 125. They don't think that there's a value in it. And to be fair, they don't make those main event pay-per-view fights because they don't sell. They just don't. They, Do if they you look not at the sell no- or did DJ not sell? Did Mighty Mouse never sell? And then now we're just painting him as the whole division because he dominated the entire era of the division. And by the way, I don't think he actually lost to Cejudo. I, I think DJ could have sold. I think we talked about it before where they didn't promote DJ correctly, and that's part of the reason why. But you also look at like knockout rates from each division over last year. Flyweight's the lowest. It always is. And it's and it's ha- just has to do with the stature of these fighters that they are smaller dudes who just don't have that much pop. They have to stay at a, such a light weight that it doesn't allow them to put on that extra strength and muscle because they have to stay so lean. So I my thought is that Dilla- if Dillashaw wins, they kill the division. If Cejudo wins, like you said, they give him maybe one more fight and then they ask him to move up and face TJ at 135 to make another true super fight. It's just weird. It feels weird and unnecessary. The only thing I like about the fact that this is a flyweight fight is I don't think Cejudo, who, by the way, again, yeah, he beat DJ. I didn't think he did. I thought DJ had won that even with two injuries, got the nod. I don't think Cejudo deserved the chance to join the two-division champion club, right? Like, it, it wouldn't have made sense for me for him coming off of a controversial win without ever giving Mighty Mouse a rematch because Demetrius wanted out. Uh that didn't make sense. I just don't get why this should be a title fight at flyweight. This should be a bantamweight title fight. Cejudo can walk in with his championship, and you retire it right there. And it's still a super fight. Now, it does contrast what I just said, giving Cejudo a chance to be a champ champ, but he's not a champ champ because you're retiring the division the second he walks in there. So, yeah, well, he's, not, he's also not a champ champ because the 135 belt isn't on the line. Well, it would be in, under this scenario. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm saying this should be a 135 fight. I get the only thing I like about it not being is, like I said, Cejudo might not deserve a chance to do that. But just toying with the public and toying with the fighters about, well, we don't really know what we're going to do. Like, come on, just make it like ish or get off, right? 
ish that thing. <laughs> yeah. My question is, if if they would have given Mighty Mouse the decision like you thought they should have, what is this fight? Like, is it 135 in the main event that was yes. supposed to be 233 that got pushed to Brooklyn? Or is do they make this another 125 fight? Are you saying if Mighty Mouse had won yes. and then left? No, no, no. I'm saying if Mighty Mouse would have won, would they have made this TJ, this super fight against TJ yes. the same, under the same conditions that it is now? Or would they have, they would have tried, and I would have been on here telling you that's a bad idea. What I thought should have happened is this. Had DJ won that, he would have beaten Cejudo twice and Benavides twice. And arguably you could say those were his two toughest non-Ian McCall opponents during his reign, and he beat them twice. So there's nobody left for him to beat. It would have been time for DJ to dare to be great and go up to Bantamweight. And they would have had to pay him main event money to take the chance by moving up in weight. But I think DJ versus TJ would have been one hell of a fight that could have really cemented Mighty Mouse as the GOAT. Not just he's in the comp- conversation, he is the greatest. He just moved back up in weight and, uh, you know, and beat Dillashaw. And then maybe you could have had him fight Cruz to avenge that loss. And they could have done big things. But because Mighty Mouse left, sh- shut the thing down. Because it, like, it just doesn't help anybody leaving it in the middle here. Now, this fight we gotta get into. It's a great fight in my eyes on paper. But there's real question marks of how much is TJ gonna compromise his body. He's already absolutely ripped at 135. It's not like he's this, this dude with a gut where you're like, okay, you know, if he gets a little more serious and slices that down. There, like, what happens if he loses cause he's compromised? He gains nothing and he loses everything. What does Cejudo gain? Maybe a Benavides fight, and that's it. So it just – that element is hard to get past. If TJ is fully healthy, who do you like in this one? Because I love how this fight might play out. If TJ is fully healthy at 125, you're saying, just because, just like his body has not been – Not compromised. I mean, you have to you have to like TJ more, right? Like his boxing game is just so much better than Cejudo's. And he is able – his – his uh, precision with his punches is just so insane that I just – I don't know, man. Like I actually went back and rewatched that TJ-Cody fight, the second one, and to be honest, I wasn't that impressed with his performance because for well, as much as we all, loved – First of all, how dare you? I'm not impressed by your performance. Okay, first of all, you just knocked out the guy two times in a row, You know, but you're not impressed. Okay, you're, let me explain. I didn't think that it was just like this, oh my god, he's just so great. Cody, for as much as we love him, he is so damn reckless when he gets into slugging matches that he leaves his chin so exposed. Like, he, he went in with a winging hook and he, his, his other hand was down. So TJ sees him coming over the top with this hook, ducks it, and just pops him straight. And it's just that easy for him. So, to me, this fight's going to be more interesting just because of Cejudo's karate style and how he's able to protect himself because he's not reckless. He's not going to get baited into a, a slugging match like Cody did. He's not going to fall into those traps that, that TJ lays for him. I think this ends up being more calculated than anything. And I think if Cejudo gets TJ to the ground, this gets a lot more interesting. I think their wrestling could end up canceling each other out to a degree. It Although could. Cejudo's the better wrestler. He's the Olympic gold medalist. But if it does... Then certainly you have potential for it to be a sneaky war, but you're kind of labeling it could be a, a fun technical fight at that same time. Either way, you're talking about really two of the top ten pound-for-pound fighters in the sport. 
The winner could make a case to be pound for pound king. Certainly Dillashaw, who I already think is right there at two or three, if he wins a second title and drops down. I mean, look, he's the. I don't. I don't think it helps him honestly. It doesn't help him because he's cutting down. He's not going up. But cutting down's not easy. Cutting down's almost more dangerous than going up. If he wins with a knockout, then I will agree with your argument. But if he wins a decision where we can clearly see that his power is gone losing another 10 pounds, then I, I'm not that impressed. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm sorry. I, this is the one fight that we've not, like, gone deep in when we're talking about it in our Slack room. Like, I'm just like, this is a good fight. This is going to be entertaining to me. But it's not going to – I'm not going to learn much from it. I'm not going to learn a whole lot about what TJ is as a fighter. I'm not going to – like, we might learn more about Cejudo from this because he's fighting somebody closer to the level of DJ. And if he beats – TJ and DJ in consecutive fights. Okay, that's a little bit more impressive to me. But TJ's wins over Cody, they're good. They're, but Cody wasn't like an all-timer or anything. He was a hell of a knockout artist who got caught twice because he's reckless. I don't know. I, I, it seems like you're unnecessarily pissing on this. I think it's really <laughs> going to entertain. Because if they were doing a head-to-head fight at 35, I'd favor TJ. I think just too skilled. If he's a slightly compromised here, maybe he realizes I'm not going to have the long-term stamina cutting weight. This could turn into a fun-ass brawl. And I think it's closer to 50-50 if he has compromisation than we realize. This could be a really great fight, and I think it'll mean more for TJ and his legacy than you are saying. I don't think the idea of moving down is like a, I'm taking advantage of somebody. Because in this sport, you try to cut another 10 pounds, you're, take, you're taking advantage of your own body. If your GSP went down and beat Habib, not granted, unbeaten Habib is a different story, but if GSP went down and did that, I don't think we'd be like, well, yeah, he went down and wait. We'd be like, oh my god, he just became the first three-division title holder. This guy's unbelievable. But the thing is, like, pound for pound is supposed to mean just greatness throughout, right? Yeah, at any weight class, right? Sure. But he's clearly, he's at his best at 135. If GSP cut to 155, he's not going to look like the same fighter. Right, but I, if he did that I, in one, I, you'd be impressed. And if TJ does this and wins, you'd have to be impressed. How dare you not be impressed by that? I'm not taking that. All right, I got, I got, look, even with the compromisation, I got TJ winning a war, maybe a little bit of a classic. The thing is, I don't know if he can knock Cejudo out, and I don't know if TJ can go five rounds at 125. So I like him to win, but I think this could end up being a, a thriller on the scorecards. Yeah, I I mean, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Cejudo. I'm gonna take Cejudo. I think he's gonna grind out a decision very similar to the way that he beat um, Mighty Mouse. He's gonna employ a very similar game plan where he's able to keep the distance, and when he sees TJ coming in for those heavy hands. He's going to go for the takedowns, he's going to score the takedowns, and he's going to score points on the ground. I think another very weird split decision win from for Cejudo in this one. My, By the way, my thought that it just came into my head when we were talking about it before, the only reason to me that they make this fight at 125 is because UFC would probably be worried about Cejudo going up to 135 because of how dominant they've seen TJ be at 135. What do you think about that? So they want to give... They want to make it a more fun fight, and they think that making TJ come to 125 makes it a more fun fight. Once again, they don't know what they have in TJ. Once a damn again. <laughs> right? Well, that would support the idea that Cejudo clearly 
much larger marketing potential long term. Mexican American guy, good looks, could talk, cocky. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, I, I, I'll stand by you at that. All right, this co-main, Greg Hardy. We've pretty much talked about the Hardy element of it ad nauseum opposite Rachel Ostovich. We talked about this with Dan Lambert also as well. What about this actual fight? I mean, he's 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 fighting the guy who puts the cheese inside the hot dogs at Cumberland Farms, right? <laughs> Alan Crowder. He is fighting Alan Crowder. I don't know much about him. He's nine and three in his career. Uh, he's coming off a loss. He actually fought Justin Willis in December at uh, UFC 231, lost by knockout. Um, and he was on Dana White's Contender Series as well. I, I don't know. I think this is them setting up. Greg Hardy for that quote unquote star push, whatever you want to say, call it. They want to showcase him. They want to give him a chance in a platform to showcase if he has that knockout power. And I think he's, he should get it. It shouldn't be in under a minute like his last three fights have been. I hope that Alan Crowder is able to push him a little bit because he needs somebody to give him a, a test. He can't just keep running through these just Joe Schmo off the street guys. So, I think Hardy's going to win because they need they need him to win. Yeah, but I don't know how it's going to look per se. Yeah, I'll stand by that. I mean, I mean the other guy's coming to lose. Let's be honest. That's why Greg Hardy's in the co-main event on ESPN kickoff platform to win, bring in people there, and set him up for future ESPN dates. Uh, we talked about Benavidez. This fight that seems to be getting pushed down is the Paige Van Zant Rastelovic card, which originally was what the headliner. Well, it was the headliner because they couldn't get anybody to sign on for their fight, and they were scrambling still because of 233 was supposed to be – was it th- – no, it's it was supposed to be the Saturday after, right? It was on January 26th. But, yeah, so, but Wikipedia has this now listed as the fifth fight of the main card, where I think if you're launching ESPN, aren't you launching Paige Van Zant as a you know former Dancing with the Stars alum as a potential superstar. I'm just I, I was intrigued that it seems like this has fallen. I mean they're they're setting her up against a opponent who's four and four and Ostevich who she should be able to beat in theory. I think that they've kind of realized that Paige doesn't have that whatever it is that makes her a star fighter because she's not as skilled. I mean to be honest, her skill level is not what it what she needs it to be at a top five strawweight fighter or flyweight fighter, whatever uh, division that she's going to be in. I think she's flyweight for this fight, but I, yeah, I mean, her skill level is just not there. She's not precise with her striking. She's not a great grappler. She's not a great wrestler. It's she's an average UFC fighter and that's okay. She can be an average UFC fighter and be force Griffin, (laughs) right? She can be that kind of fighter. Who's, marketable to the masses. She's not going to be a champion always, like Forrest Griffin, all right? No, not a champion, but I'm just saying she can be a person who's marketable to the masses. They use for their commercials. They use commercial appeal, and she's a prelim fighter. That's okay, right? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I just thought they would feature it more. Uh, Donald Cerrone in the preliminary main event against Alexander Hernandez, a lightweight bout. Alexander the Great, sir. Um, Put some back on his name. This is not going to be the end of uh, of the Cowboy, right? We're not walking into an accidental, uh, I had a good run, but uh, I can't be taking this type of punishment anymore, right? I mean, he has lost four of his last six. But he's coming off the great submission <laughs> of our boy Mike Perry. Um, yeah, I don't know. Alexander Hernandez is a really good fighter. Um, Donald Cerrone, 
I really hope this isn't the end if you lose, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. All right. Well, this is the end of this program. And shout out to Dan Lambert and Forrest Griffin for joining us. And for you, the listeners, hey, I'm going on a boat. All right. I'll be on a cruise. We'll be back at some point to break down this Brooklyn card. Wise man, people can follow you somewhere around the streets of uh, South Florida. Yeah, you can follow me whenever I go out of town. Brandon Wise, at Brandon Wise 65 on Twitter. Yes. Follow me at B Campbell CBS at State of Combat. As Todd Grisham would say, keep fighting. And I got two words for you. We out. <laughs>